This is Cowboy Shit, and it's episode 109. It's the uh, fifth episode of the fifth season for January 26, 2022. My name is Ted Stoven. My co-host, he is Wacy Anderson, the one what and only, up? the king of TikTok and Western world. He invented the hair, uh, the, the, the towel, dish towel hair. hair, the yellow dish towel hair. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Is that, is that actually, did you actually make that up? Or is that, did you find, see that? I didn't make it else? up. Like I was, I, I'm using it as part of my shtick. But Where'd now you find I've, it? How'd you find that idea? Oh God. I think I saw it like early, deep in my deep TikTok days when oh, I was so trying to get that's a thing. That's, a, that's like 20. Not. Well, like I saw like somebody like people would put like a t-shirt on their head or like whatever to like signify that they're a girl. So then I like made my own ad- adaptation to it of my yellow towel, the yellow dish rig. And now I've, now I've visited some really good for my horse girl, girl skits that I do. <laughs> um, I see other people adopting it, which is great. But I think it's good. We there's, there's enough room for people to create, but yeah, it's invitation become, is the most sincere form whoa. of flattery way. see. You know, yeah, it's crazy, man. I like it's why, like, I love TikTok. Like, I think it's an unreal. But platform. how many people are stealing from you? A few. Ah, it's not, but it's you know what? It's I don't know. I can't sit here and like claim. I can just keep creating the stuff that I create. There's what there is one TikTok that I made that got skimmed off of, and I was pretty I was pretty rattled. I wasn't rattled, but I was just like, oh man, like I I did that exact same thing like six days before you did. Like then there's got like a like a million views. And mine only like I might have got like a hundred thousand, which is still pretty good. But anyways, mm. it just, it's 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 like it sucks when you like when you have like when you make your own spin on something or a trend or whatever it may be, and then somebody else does the exact same thing, like the same niche as you. And it's like, but well, isn't like, that isn't that what like isn't that what people like all TikToks are? Isn't everybody just doing the well, same? Well, it is, it is, but it, it isn't a, it isn't a sense, but it's like you have your audience and who like what you're just like obviously our niche is like western horse people like rodeo which one which one got stolen it was the the taylor swift one where it's like i got nothing when you like drive when you like sit through 250 barrel racers to watch your girlfriend knock two barrels or something like that yeah just like staring yeah and there was a like it was it was similar pretty much the exact same like both like sitting and watching your girlfriend knock over two barrels or something anyways but that's it, it, it's one of those things where it's like you kind of take a trend because there's a and then you just adapt it to what your niche is so there's so a lot of so does that make you a trend setter i think it's, it just makes me someone who knows what my audience is and how to make them laugh and somebody but somebody gripped you off and stole your idea yeah it's what it is man i don't really want it's, it is it's i'll just get, it's one of those things man where it's like it's cool like having a sweet big following and stuff, but I enjoy actually enjoy making the stuff. I enjoy creating it. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't really care if it gets 20 views or 200,000 views. I just, I just enjoy doing it. If you're going to do a TikTok with, uh, with me in it, what would it include? I mean, I have, I have a list of ideas of TikToks that I want to get you guys in on, but we just haven't had a chance to put them together. Are we going to do them uh, this weekend when we go to Saskatoon? We can, yeah, we can do. I have a really, actually have a pretty fun idea for our Saskatoon for a TikTok. Oh really? Um, I want to. So there's like this thing, like, so I think that like the and then I think Pittsburgh did it or one of the NHL teams. They had the, their 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 like mini mic, and they go up to people like, "Who do you think someone's Super Bowl? Or, like, what's your favorite TV series?" If but you I want to do. Base, I like the Dallas one. If you if you're a baseball player, what position would you play? Yeah. So what I want to do is like go to somewhere like like it's the Saskatoon Rush game. It's Western night, so I want to go around and like show people like a certain Western thing. So like a set of spurs and be like, what do you think this is? And see if they can guess what it is pro- correctly. And like kind of like a game show type thing. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and then just go around and ask random people on the concourse, like what, 
what what that specific specific western thing is but i also have another one i want to do with western brands so go to like at calgary like go walk around the midway and be like how do you pronounce this or like you know what i mean just to see what people say hmm. but be a fun one but there's like there's so many so much shit dude like i literally have a list like I use, I use this, I've started using this app in the new year called notion. It's like a workflow kind of note-taking thing. I have my journal on there, but I'm using it for like three weeks now. Mm-hmm. And I have like a list of like 30 TikTok ideas and I, I, I get new ones every day. So I just like write them in there. So I just have them saved. So I know what I, I can kind of like put stuff out as it, as it comes oh, to that's me. Fun. Yeah. It's sweet, hey, man. So, so we are going to the rush game though this weekend. I've never been. Yeah. To big news, man. Game. Big yeah. news. Yeah. I don't even know how to explain it, but we're going to the rush game and we're going to do some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet, man. That like we, uh, I have a friend who works for the blades and the rush and they were looking for some people to host their Western night. And it just so happens that you and I have a Western podcast and we're kind of Western people know who we are. So some they're days. like, Hey, you guys want to do it? And we're like, yeah, we do want to do it. So we're, yeah, we're heading to Saskatoon this weekend. Yeah. The Saskatoon, just Saskatchewan rush game. Again, which is going to be against Panther city, which is from Fort worth. The home arena is the dick. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. How neat is that? Damn, that's cool. And so it's cool. I've never been to a rush game, but everybody I mean, I, I heard it's you know, from back home, they say they're rowdy. Yeah. So we're sounds like we're in for an awesome time. We've got some fun stuff planned for everybody who's there at the game too. Like come hang out. We'll got some games, got some stuff. We'll are we agreeing? Are we bringing any stuff with us? Are we have some like cowboy shit stuff with us or no? I don't know yet. We'll we'll see. We might. We we'll might have some cowboy shit stuff with us. Come, yeah. come check out the game. We'll have we'll have our uh, so we'll have a ticket link in our social media here yeah, over the next few tuned. days. So check it out and get you some tickets fixed up. And yeah, we'll be yeah. come see us. At a lacrosse gonna, game. We're gonna be doing some stuff before the game, a little bit during. So yeah. we're gonna experience and Saskatoon and Saskatoon Rush. Saskatchewan Rush. Say hello. God, God dang. Saskatoon yeah. Rush. Get it right. But yeah, it's come kind check of. Out. Yeah, it'll be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good. It's I I always enjoy going back to Saskatchewan because that's where I grew up. We'll have a lot of friends there, especially Saskatoon. A lot of my friends are there, so it's gonna be sweet. I'm ha- I'm pumped to uh, do some fun stuff at Sastel Center on Saturday night. And uh, the other part of it too is we're going to Saskatoon, so we're gonna dra- leave here on Friday. Probably try and drive in the daylight. I think. Hey, we'll leave here like 10 a.m. or something. Man, we're there by the day like, off, five. man. Yeah, but like we'll skip over there. But one thing I want to do, I've never, I haven't done it in my adult life, is I want to go stay at the Delta Besboro and I want to go to Stoven's Lounge. So there'll be some good content the out of the, the lounge. The Bez is nice. Yeah, right. So yeah. Uh, we'll take the pop storm night. We'll go make a full weekend out of her. And have uh, you, uh, have you been to the Crazy Cactus? Oh, well, it's the story with the Crazy Cactus. Just the crazy party place. They have a drink called the Gringo, which is like beer, tequila, like all different kinds of stuff mixed together. Is that our Saturday night plan after the game? Or are we going to go to the short twig? That's always a long branch. <laughs> we should always get a deal out of them. Branch. We should be like the official after party promoters of, uh, of the short twig. The Maybe Dixon will meet us. Do you think Dixon will meet us there? We should have given him a call, actually. <laughs> ah, okay. But but Stoven's Lounge is after named it. Like there was one of my. Uh, um, relatives from a few years back was the first guest to ever stay in the delta besboro so you have connections to saskatoon is what you're saying yeah I, essentially i do but the, the lounge is actually it's my, like my family name it's stoven's lounge so i gotta go check it out that's gonna you've be never cool. been that there could, either have you can, i've like stayed in the the besboro yeah i've never been to stoven's lounge yeah um, so like it's the lobby bar so it's like kind of like our jam man right? like, so that's you there's some your drinks and some lobby bars with there's that. a tiktok for you right there but right yeah. so i gotta show like my id or how do i how do I 
We'll have to dream up how this TikTok looks. But I think oh, we got, let me sit on let me sit on the idea for a bit. Okay, I'll, I'll come up with Cook something. it up. I Cook do some up. research. Some days. TikTok, some TikTok research. But Put it in the. But come check us out at the yeah. restaurant yeah, this awesome. weekend, Saturday the 29th, starts at 7 p.m. at Sastel Center. It's country night. Co-op Field. Uh, yeah, come check us out. Going to be a fun time. But look, we'll uh, wrap this section up. We've got some cool news in the on the bottom half. We'll talk more about it. But Cowboy shit, Montana Silversmiths, a little mashup there we got on the go. Uh, buckles on. Shit's happening. Now in store and online, cowboyshit.ca. Many Canadian retailers as well have a few of them. So, and check them out. Wherever you, wherever you get Montana stuff, but we'll uh, we'll talk more of that in the second half of the show. But we'll be uh, back here with an interview after this it's episode 109 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. I'm Ted. He's Wacy. Thank you for listening. We'll be All right. Our next guest is a former world champion bull rider. He's a PRCA Hall of Fame inductee, an eight-time NFR qualifier, NFR average winner, and a past director of the, of the PRCA, the bull riding. The list goes on and on. He's the guru of bull riding. Welcome to the Cowboy Shit Podcast, Gary LeFew. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me, man. I love it. It's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. It's like a full circle moment because Teddy and I both spent some time going to your schools and, and kind of practicing the techniques you've been teaching over the years and now we get to share it with our little audience you've built up here on the podcast it's pretty i've been really excited for this one cool i'll tell you what i'm glad to, i'm glad to hang out with you guys man uh, so gary we talked we talked about us both having gone to your school uh but i guess now we're failed bull riders so so <laughs> they're they're uh like i guess maybe not total failures we did win a little bit here and there but there's probably a lot of your students that have gone on to do other things too I'd imagine there's probably a few that, you know, might not have been successful on the bull riding side of things to be a world champion or go to the national finals or PBR world finals. But there's probably quite a few that have taken your, your, uh, training on the, on the mind side of things and turned it into success in other areas. More than you can believe I've, I've had, I don't know how many millionaires and multimillionaires said that it all started right there at that school and the, and the mindset that they develop, you know, that I was teaching for riding bulls, but I said, this applies to business too, because you're not going to ride bulls forever. And those guys took that, uh, that mindset and went on to be highly successful in business, you know? So I'm as proud of that accomplishment as I am, uh, you know, the bull riding, because that's it, you know, there's life after bull ride. Who are there any of those people you could tell us about that we might, might recognize or that folks might, might know of. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious now, I guess you can't, you might not be able to say either, but but I'm curious on that well, side. Well, now. a lot of the guys just say, call me up and I'll run into them. You know, I had a, you probably remember, remember the, uh, the bull riding tape I did called shooting the bull. And, and that was probably the most successful tape I ever did it. Well, I did it back in the seventies, but I, I had guys, um, you know, I had a guy that, you know, I was, I was looking for another copy of it, you know, cause it was on them, them old, uh, you know, cassette tapes and they went bad. And so I run into the guy at the finals and, and I said, you know, I've been looking uh, to, to get one of those tapes that would work, you know? And he said, well, that tape carried me not only to 
before I went into bull riding, I, I, you know, I had some success, not, I didn't become no champion or nothing, but he said after bull riding, you know, I become, you know, really wealthy from, from the mindset that, that I developed there. And uh, I said, man, I'd love to get a copy of that tape. And he says, I digitized it. So he sent me a digitized copy nice. and we, we dumped it over on, on CDs and now CDs are, you know, are obsolete. You know? <laughs> yeah. So now we're, now we're in the process of putting them over where they can just download them on their phone, you know, but, but that tape just lives on. I had a friend of mine, he was, you know, riding bulls and listening to it and, and he loaned it to a guy and he was in the mining industry and this guy sold a uh, mining equipment and uh, he, uh, he listened that tape, went into a presentation. In fact, he said he never went into a presentation without listening that tape first. And he became the leading seller of mining equipment in the world, you know, just wow. made millions of dollars. You know, so, uh, so that tape, it lives on, you know, so it's just uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the message that's in there is just, it, it, you know, you know, you, you're riding bulls, you got an 1800 pound mad as hell bull you got to face every day. And if you're getting out of bed where well, you can't wait to get out of bed and go get on that some, but you got the right mindset. You know, if you're dreading it, you're, you're worried about what's going to happen or go wrong. You know, the bulls are kind of a metaphor for life, you know, because what you think about is what you're going to become, you know? So if you worry about getting hurt or you worry about getting whatever, uh, you, you're actually attracting that. But the one, the one thing that I learned in the week that I was there at your place is, and it's always stuck with me and something that I apply to my life all the time is, is only worrying about the stuff that you can control. I remember like the story you tell about showing up to a bull ride and, it, and it's raining out and whatever is so you can sit there and minge and whine about it, but you have no control over the rain or what the bull's going to do. You just got to focus on the job that you can do and like, and bring your best to the table. And that's one thing that's like always stuck with me. And one thing that I really, really apply to my everyday life. I know, you know, the year I went Calgary, me and John Quintana, we were, we were up, uh, a day and it was sleet. It rain was. It wasn't rain. It was sleet. It was coming down ice. You know, and, and all the bull riders were bitching. You know, God damn, what a what a, what a piece of shit day to be up. You know, and, and I told John, I said, you know, I said, because we always on them rainy days, we always got a rope really sticky. You know, put it back in a bag, and then never touched it after that. When we put it on the bull, we stuck our hand and went with it because if you the one, if there's two drops of water on there, you run it up and down, you'll, you'll lose your rope, you know? So you just get her sticky sticker and pull her up, stick her in, have somebody hold a raincoat over while it's where the rain doesn't hit it. You know? So I said, let's get our ropes ready. There's a bar over there under the grandstand. We'll go there and sit and <laughs> sip a little crown Royal, you know, not to get drunk, but just kind of, you know, just to uh, get, get in a good mood. And uh, you know, that's the thing I loved about Canada, you know, going up there in the spring, there was always a pat, a bottle of crown Royal passed around behind the ship, you know, <laughs> telling them wild west stories and, and you was always you're really feeling good, you know, getting on on a kind of a kind of a colder spring day, you know, and it just man, you really felt like riding. So we went over there and sat over there, and I said, we'll come back and win first and second. We come back and everybody was just falling off like flies. I made one of the great rides of my career on a bull called Fifty Three, uh, come from Joe Kelsey, originally come from Barnby, um, and uh, and John went second. So everybody else <laughs> fell off. I think you know, and then I. I, I rode another bull in a short round when the average and, uh, you know, everything turned out good. But, you know, I could have been out there with the rest of them just bitching, saying what a miserable day to be up, you know. But uh, you just don't do that. You make the best of whatever it is. With uh, going back, for those that might not know, might not know Gary's story, the book uh, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. So it's it's uh, a book written uh, quite a long time ago, isn't it, Gary? Like it, it's actually yeah, from... back in the 1940s. Yeah, way yeah. back. Yeah. And, but tell, tell us a story about, about how you came across that book and, and uh, you know, how it changed things going from being in a slump to totally changing your entire 
entire life, essentially. You know, you know, going back to you become what you think about, you know, I never got on a bull till I was almost 20. And, uh, you know, I was so eat up with it when I did, uh, you know, even probably more the lifestyle than even the adrenaline rush of riding bulls, because I see these 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 cowboys were they were the fun lovingest bunch of guys I'd ever been around in my life. Uh, went to the bar. They they left with all the good-looking girls. You know, they were just. I said, "Man, what a lifestyle!" You know these. And then I see them the next week. At, they're at another rodeo. Uh, they're riding. They're laughing. They're telling jokes. They're having fun. Uh, they go to the bar. They leave with all the good-looking women again. You know, and, you know. There's usually a brawl in every town in those days because uh, you know the local guys were trying to protect their territory, and the, and and the girls loved the cowboys, and they were they they were you know. So there was there was always a fight over the girls and Cowboys usually won, you know, so it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun in those days, you know, so, uh, but that, you know, I was eat up with that lifestyle, you know, so I said, whatever it takes, I don't care if they drag me through hell 10 times, I'm going to get good at this and this time I'll make a living, you know, so I started asking some of the older, older riders, I said, you know, what's it take to get good at this, you know, and one of them told me, he said, well, you're going to have to get on about a hundred bulls before everything starts to feel at home. You know, because there wasn't no schools around then. And everyone just told you, stick your chest out, lift on your rope and try, you know. So and if you got enough try, you're going to make it, you know. So I wasn't sure to try. But I think, you know, because, you know, I, I didn't have no uh, rich parents. I grew up poor and, and every every dollar that I made uh, for entry fees, you know, I worked hard for it, you know. So I wasn't going to go waste my money going entering rodeos when I wasn't ready to enter a rodeo. I went to the practice pen uh drove about three and a half hours to a practice pen where i'd get on five bulls on saturday and five on sunday and so that's 10 bulls closer to 100 and then i'd be back the next week if i was my body was able and i'd get on 10 more you know so it took me one year from the time i got on my first bull till i went ready in california which is you know uh, one of the top rodeos in the country uh, a year and two months is i went great falls montana while i was on my vacation and went home quit my job and I placed it the next 10 rodeos I went to and we always talk about the law of attraction you know how how because when I got into bull riding all I dreamed about was night and day was how good it was going to be when I you know when I got to quit this miserable job that I had and luckily I had a miserable job you know I always tell guys you want to get good at bull riding eight seconds don't look so bad when you got to go to work at a miserable job every day and I had one that was right on the coast of California it was foggy it was windy and it was cold and and damp every day and I hate dampness you know I hate wind blowing that dampness and uh, but I showed up early I stayed late I made a hand because that's the way I was raised my dad taught me if, if they're paying you two dollars an hour give them four dollars worth of work Show up early, stay late, make a hand, whatever you're doing, because that's going to carry over to your work ethic at what you want to do, you know. So so I made a hand, but that wasn't where I planned on staying, you know. So it took me a year and two months to, to finally to be able to go back and quit that job. Now, everything seemed to be falling in place because all I dreamed about every day was, was when I was going to be able to quit that job, be out on the road, and I just – you know, I would fantasize about it constantly, how romantic it would be to be in Calgary, be in New York City, being, you know, I remember going to, we rode in the, the uh, Toronto at the Maple Leaf Gardens in 1965, you know, oh, where the legendary, cool. you know, hockey players play, you know, and, uh, you know, so rodeo took me everywhere, you know, but at that time I was dreaming about it. And one of the great philosophers said, the best state that a human being can be in is called a state of positive expectancy. 
when you're dreaming about how good life is going to be when you get to a certain destination, you know, once you get to that destination, it's never going to be as good as it is in that dream. So the trick is you say, well, this is pretty goddamn cool, but wait till I get over there. Then you go right back into a positive state of expectation, and that's the best state a human can be in. You know, I think Earl Nightingale put it. He said the secret to happiness is the progressive realization of a worthwhile ideal or goal. When you're striving for a goal and 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 you're making progress, you're the happiest you'll ever be, because that's how we're designed. That's as human beings, we're goal-striving beings. You know, so we we set goals, we dream about them, and we keep working our way towards them. So everything was going great, you know, by the, uh, uh, now the 10th rodeo, the rod started knocking in my car, you know, and it blew up at Salina, Kansas. So, you know, and I, and I had a, the back seat taken out. I had a plywood in there and I had uh, my air mattresses there so I could sleep in there. It's like having your own camper only as a station wagon, you know, <laughs> but I was, I was, I was living cheap putting money away, making sure I had plenty of money, make it through the winter rodeos. And, and I was winning. When the car blew up, that seemed like bad luck at the time, but it turned out to be the best luck ever happened to me. Cause the next morning I went out and I went third in the bull riding. I was waiting in the hotel lobby uh, to, to catch a ride with anybody going to the next rodeo. I left 90% of my stuff in my car. I packed light. The world's champion, a guy named Bill Cornell, won the world's champion when he was 19. Um, and uh, Dickie Cox, uh, who was runner-up for the world's championship the year before behind him, were the first guys come through the lobby and I asked if I'd catch a ride with them. I said, hell yeah, they load me up. I travel with them the rest of the summer and <laughs> most rest of my career, you know, and they become two of my best friends. So what's the chance of an old kid just cracking out and all of a sudden you're traveling with the two best bull riders out there, you know? So the law of attraction is big. You know, your thoughts are very powerful. They attract either good or bad. You, you're If you're hanging out with negative people, you're constantly bitching and complaining about circumstances you're just drawing more of that shit into your life you know but if you turn your thinking around and you start to to not let yourself ever think negative and that's you know when i read psycho cybernetics the whole the whole you know concept of positive thinking is never let a negative thought in your head if you if it gets in there kick it out replace it with a positive you know so it's like okay computer don't accept that get out replace it with a positive once you get in the habit of doing that which is tough because I think the first 21 days, they had me monitor everything anyone said to me and everything I said to myself and anything negative rejected. I was really amazed at the end of that 21 days, probably the most negative things said to me were by me. You know? so, <laughs> I would go, get out, get out, stay out, you know, put a positive back in its place. And once I got once I got that locked in and, and, and where it, it, it become a habit, then everything turned around in my life. And, and did it take that 21 days or, or was there? It, take, it takes 21 days to create that habit. You know, I took two months off and reprogrammed <laughs> myself. And now the mind, the mind is a perfect mimic. You know, when I taught Luke Perry how to ride bulls for the movie Eight Seconds, they said, uh, we want you to teach Luke Perry how to ride bulls, but you can't put him on any bulls to teach him, you know. So that, that really tested whether my drills worked and, 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 and the visualization techniques and all that stuff work. Now, actors are, are paid pretenders. They're pretending they're somebody else when they're acting. So he was, uh, Luke Perry was easy to teach because he, he was already knew how to pretend, you know, that he was someone else. So I related the story to him. I said, when I got into positive thinking, there was a guy by the name of George Paul around, still the greatest bull rider I've ever seen. 
You know, he rode 67 bulls in a row when he cracked out uh, without getting bucked off. Uh, the guy was an athlete, super athlete. Couldn't tell you one thing about how to ride bulls, but there wasn't anything to buck him off. You know? so, <laughs> so when me and my, my traveling partner, my best friend, John Quintana, we said, whatever we're doing, we're going to change it and do it like him because he is, you know, he was amazing. So when I did visualization, uh, I did what they call role modeling is I would visualize George Paul riding because we didn't have no video then, but when he rode uh, from the time he come in the rodeo till he left, I watched everything he did. I watched him on bulls. I logged it in my brain. And when I did visualization, I would try to imagine what it looked like and felt like to be George Paul. So I would see visions of George Paul riding and I'd say, that's me. Anything you run through your mind repeatedly, the mind will believe. Once you, it believes, magic happens. Now, for two months there, probably I watched at least 200 rides of George Paul in my mind, you know, saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. The difference when I went to Denver, Colorado was two months before that, I, you know, because I made, you know, I kind of back up a little bit here. From my, you know, from the time I started, it took me three years to end up 10th for the world. My third year out, I ended up 10th for the world, made my first NFR. Jim Shoulders was pulling my rope every night. And uh, the first six rounds, I was placing and riding good. And, and then I rode a rope so loose that I probably let maybe a foot of it back, fed it back about a foot. Uh, and I just totally rode on balance back then. Uh, in the eliminator round, I had a big belly rolling bull and that rope rolled across the back. And when I went under him, he stepped on my ankle and fractured my ankle. So it put me out the rest of the finals. And then I was out, I missed, uh, you know, a few rodeos before I cracked back out, but I got married, I had a kid on the way, and I started to worry about responsibility. When I started to worry about responsibility, I was wondering what would happen if I don't win instead of worrying about what will happen if I do win. And whatever you run through the mind, the mind will believe, you know. So uh, to make a long story short, I went six months, didn't stay on a bull. <laughs> the harder I tried, the worse I did. Because the conscious mind, by the time you see a move and think about it, you're a jump late. You got to be, everything's got to be on the unconscious side. The unconscious side of the mind works at the speed of light and it processes a billion pieces of information per second. So that's the side I'd been on because I was always in that dream side. You know, once I got on the conscious side, no matter how talented I was, that talent went out the window. Two months of reprogramming George Paul into my mind. When I got to Denver, two months before that, there wasn't a bull in there that looked like that I had the confidence I thought I could stay on. Two months later, without doing anything but visualization, there wasn't a bull in there look like it bucked me off. There was confidence like I'd never, I'd never felt in my life. I'd never felt that confident, you know, and I had one of the rankest bulls in rodeo. I ended up being one point off the all-time record, uh, you know, when I, when I rode him there. And, uh, you know, so where did that confidence come from? You know, damn sure didn't come from personal experience, but the mind cannot tell the difference between a real experience and a biblically imagined experience. So those George Paul images of running through my mind over and over and over again, once my mind believed that, then all the emotions stem from your subconscious. So the emotions of confidence showed up instead of the emotions of doubt, fear, and worry, you know, and I went three months, never got bucked off. I went all the way to runner up for the world's championship behind George Paul. He won the national finals. I went second, you know, I come back the next year, went third. Uh, rode the bull of the year in the 10th round, made the high marked ride of the NFR, 
come back the next year, rode nine out of 10, win that NFR average, won the world's championship, you know? So, so everything turned around, you know, once I did a checkup from the neck up. So, (laughs) so that's why teaching a bull riding school, if you don't, if you don't incorporate the mental side of the game, you're not teaching the game right. Well, when you were in that slump though, how did you find the ways to dig yourself out of, like you said, you did that, that checkup from the neck up, but where did you, how did you, for some guys, like, where do you start that? You know what I mean? Like for, especially in the, well, like, you know, for me, it was, for me, I just, I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to take some time off because, because what I needed to do was reprogram my mind. The, the mind is just a computer, you know? And, uh, and then reading, reading Maxwell Moss book said that anything, any results, it's going to take 21 days to get results before everything switches over to the other side of the mind, you know? So until then you'll be thinking, you know, but, but after 21 days, you start switching over to the other side of the mind where, you know, whatever you program in is going to start showing up. So I figured two months, you know, that's, that's 60 days. So I, I, I took her longer than 21 because I wanted to make sure I was well-programmed by the time I cracked out. And uh, you know, it's like, uh, I read another book called The Magic of Believing, you know, and and, uh, and they said that, you know, once you believe something, magic happens, you know, and, and the only way that man can artificially implant faith, you know, our, our belief into the subconscious mind is through repetition of thought, taking the end result pictures of, of that end result and what it feels like. The feelings are actually more important than what it looks like. What conjuring up that feeling of what it feels like to succeed is the most important thing about your visualization. You know, you know, feeling the I remember when I went there, the the Rose Bowl one year, there was 80,000 people screaming in the stands. You know, I mean, it was one of the most electric crowds I was ever in front of. And I'm and I'm feeling that energy before I get on. I look at that bowl and go, man, you're fucked. You ain't bugging me off in front of 80,000 people, you know, so. You know, Calgary, you know, riding at Calgary that when I rode that bull at Calgary, it was so loud that I couldn't hear the whistle. I just, you know, and I wasn't about to get off before the whistle and the pickup man finally rode up next to me and hollered, you can get off now. (laughs) You know, know, it's just like those feelings, you know, you remember them forever, you know, because it's so exhilarating, you know, but when you're in visualization, that's what you want to conjure up. Freckles Brown, one of the great writers of all time, won the world when he was 41, uh, uh, he was he was 46 when he won the NFR, but he was a January baby, so he was closer to 47. Uh, the, uh, I come in, I think, 1968 uh, in third place. He was in second place. He was 48 years old. When Albuquerque was 51, the guy was amazing. Uh, I'd go ask Freckles about a bull I'd have to draw. I said, Freckles, what can you tell me about this bull? He, he never told me anything mechanically about how to ride a bull. He'd say, remember what it felt like when you made that really great ride at Cheyenne, Calgary, Selena, someplace. And and I said, oh, I I never felt better on a bull in my life. That's what this one's going to feel like. This is going to be first place. Let me pull your rope, you know. So he knew by taking you in in that feeling spot that that would open up everything that uh, that rode the bull before. And, and, it, and I, he never pulled my rope and never, never, never gave advice that I had to make the whistle. You know, it was just like he was amazing. He was way ahead of his time there. I want to I want to talk about further along in your bull riding career, Gary. You win the world in 1970, and I was looking at a few things here, and you won Pendleton in 1979 and Reno in 1981. You know, 10, 11 years after, what what was the after the world title? What was what was your career like? I I'm curious that way. You know, it's really funny. You know how you know you talk about 
you know, you become what you think about, you know, and, and you, and, and, and when I teach my, my, my students, you know, like Sage Kimsey's one of my students and, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've texted him, you know, and just sometimes he kind of, he, he has a tendency to get, you know, get pissed off at things, you know, and I, I'll text him and say, never, never give energy to anything you can't control, you know, and I'll tell you that story in a minute here, you know, but um, it's, um, anyway, what was we talking about there? The second, uh, oh, yeah, the, set, the second part of your career, like from, like from, oh, oh, the second part of the world title. Okay, till, so till so once, once I set a goal to be, you know, I set a goal to be a world champion. First year I was runner up second at the finals. Next year I was third, um, come in. Uh, I think I went fifth at the, at the end average, but I, I, I went the last round when, when the high marker out of the finals. Um, and I come in there a little unprepared that year. I, I, the year before I got on like 50 Herefords before I went there. Uh, and, and it's something that I recommend today, you know, Josh Frost, who's just kicking their ass won the average last year, um, him and Joe, both when, when they practice, they only practice on jumping kickers because Joe, the first year he made the national finals, he asked, called Denny Flynn. He said, Denny, nobody's winning more money at the NF, more NFRs than you. Uh, what's the trick? He said, get on 30, um, two jumping kickers a day for 30 days straight. He said, not spinner. He said, no, just jump kickers, perfect the jump kick. Spin takes care of itself, you know? So it went back to, you know, when I, I got on like 60 Herefords for him went to the finals, you know, I'd go up and get on, you know, five, six to 10 at a time. And so by the time I got to the finals, I had like 60 bulls under my belt. I'd wrote, they weren't rank. They were just big old fat Herefords, but they were something that I succeeded at. And, and that builds confidence. You don't build a lot of confidence riding one bucking off another by riding one bucking off another. You want to succeed. That builds that builds confidence. I go to the finals, all kinds of confidence, kick their ass, went second behind George Paul. Uh, it had a great year. Uh, the next year, I thought, well, if I get ranked bulls to practice on, then I'll be that much better, you know. Uh, and I and I had some rank some bucks at my pants, you know. <laughs> ride one, one my well, was one he had he had weld me, hooked me, you know. So I, I finally got him rode, but it was like it was a, a struggle to go down and practice because them bulls were so rank, you know, where, where before it was just I couldn't look wait to go down there and have fun. And because of it, my confidence wasn't where it, where it had been the year before. And I struggled and got bucked off the first two bulls. I come out the third round and I knew I had to loose myself up. So I, uh, I told the, the gate man, I said, when I take my wrap, open the gate. He said, what if you're not ready? I said, good. I'll get ready. <laughs> so as I'm taking my hand across my rope the first time, I see out of the corner of my eye, the gate's coming open. <laughs> so I just had to squeeze my hand, jump at my rope, and I win the go around. <laughs> so it was just a blur. Everything was just happening. Wrap. I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, I told him next night, I said, let me get the wrap. <laughs> you know, and then open the gate. So every oh, night wait. after that, you know, I, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, but when I wrapped, when I, when I, when I come across that wrap, that gate was coming open, you know, and I, and I rode good the rest of the week when the, you know, rode the, you know, the black city bull the year in the, in the round. So, you know, the next year I, I didn't ride rank bulls before I come. I just, I went back to the jumping kickers, come there with a lot of confidence, rode nine out of 10 when the average, uh, win the world's championship. So I, I'd, I'd set my goals to win a world's championship, but I hadn't set my goals to win. 10 world championships, eight world championships, whatever. Uh, and because you have a tendency when you win a championship to go in the next year, you know, as a world's champion, 
instead of wanting to be a world's champion. And, and I nosedived the next year. I think I dropped all the way to 11th place because I was, you know, that goal wasn't in front of me of, of multiple championships, you know. And I struggled for about a year and a half there. And uh, in 1972, I missed the first half of the season with, you know, and when you, when you're not mentally right, injuries seem to show up. You're attracting injuries. You're not, you're not prepared. Uh, you're thinking too much. And, uh, you know, so I kind of had, had some struggles there. Uh, you know, even though I made the finals, 11 play for a world champion, ain't, ain't nothing. You should be right back up on top. 72, I never cracked out till August. So I had August, September, and, and, uh, and October to rodeo. Uh, and because I was late, uh, I decided I, I was devising the game plan. So I, so I, so I had a shirt made that said, I am hot, you know, and the reason I said, I am hot because every time they talked about someone that was winning, they said, have you heard about so-and-so man? He's hot. Have you heard about so-and-so he's hot? So I, the one thing I wanted to say about Gary LaFue is have you heard about Gary LaFue? He's hot. So why not advertise? I am hot. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up with this shirt, you know, and these guys are, you know, and no one in those days even raised their hands when they got off. They just kind of tipped their hat and walked off, you know. So I become one of the first show dogs, you know. So I had this shirt. I walk in behind the shoots, you know, and, and I'm just having fun with it, you know. And these guys go, hey, LaFue, what's, what's with the shirt? I said, which part don't you understand? I am or hot, you know. They go, <laughs> what do you got drawn? I said, don't matter. When you're hot, they all buck, you know. And I, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I always had this ritual. I would stand in front of the shoots, you know, three or four feet from the bull, and I would visualize the bull that wasn't supposed to go. Because in those days, you know, these days you go up, you just want to draw when you can ride, you know, because they got everything bucks, you know. But in those days, you know, if you could ride, you want to draw the buck and this bull in there, you know. But you you show up and you got one of them one of them fillers, and uh, you know you're not going to win anything unless you have something that really bucks, you know. So to it's a lot of guys would double enter there, maybe enter two or three rodeos, go where they had a good bull and then turn out at the other ones, pay the turnout fines. Uh, I didn't turn out anywhere. I just showed up and, and they said, what do you got? And I said, you got to be the best one on them. So I'm standing in front of the shoot and I'm visualizing this bull turning back and, and me winning first. And then I'm looking over my, uh, over my, over my shoulder at the, in my, in my visualization of the riders on the back of the shoot, shaking their heads. They look at that lucky son of a bitch. You know? So the bull, you know, and what I've understand now, bulls, bulls are telepathic. Um, humans have four levels of consciousness. We're beta, alpha, theta, delta. Animals are theta, delta, they're lower level. And they communicate through mental telepathy. So whatever your thoughts are, when you're in your imagination, they're picking up on. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the ranch I was raised on, when my dogs got fleas, I throwed them, I'd take them, throw them in a dipping vat. You know, this big vat that they throwed cattle in. Cattle jumped in, they killed all the fleas, ticks, everything. But they'd stink of that, that uh, sheep dip, you know, for a, for a month after that, you know. So they hated it, you know. So one morning I'm, I'm sitting at the breakfast table and I'm thinking, you know, I noticed some ticks and fleas on the dogs yesterday. I don't throw them into the dipping vat. I walk out on the porch. One dog's upside down peeing on himself. And the other one is 75 yards away running in the barn to go hide. They read my thoughts before I got outside, you know. So they're very clairvoyant. So then bulls are the same thing. They read your thoughts. So instead of going, hey, I got this piece of shit draw. I ain't going to win anything. You know, I'm thinking, you know, what if somebody turns back and I win first and I'm out there doing this and the guys are going, yeah, lucky son of a bitch, pointing at my I am hot shirt, you know. 
that bull licked his ass right at the end of the gate. I win the bull run, and I'm out there like this, you know. So everyone go, God damn, somebody chase supposed to buck, you know. So I come in the next one. What do you got this time, hot man? Got to be the best on him. I got him, you know. One bull after another, after another, after another. Turned back to the end of that gate, and I went first, you know. And you couldn't buck me off anything. I wrote everything I got on. And uh, I, I went from nothing won to runner-up for the world championship by the end of October, you know. John Quintana, who's one of the great bull riders of all time, you know, great rank bull rider. I started gathering him up, you know, 1,000, 1,500 a week. You know, even though he was winning, I was winning more. I was gathering him up, gathering him up. Oh, I had him. I had him nervous as a as a prostitute in church you know? <laughs> but, uh, you know i just kind of run out of time you know he ended up winning it but what a great run it was donnie gay cracked out with uh he cracked out of high school him and monty henson he come up to me in the middle of that run he goes hot man i like your style i want to travel with you i want to be baby hot see you know? so i said you're in there you know guys said how come you travel with them kids i said one word enthusiasm I said, when you're around kids with that much enthusiasm and nobody had more enthusiasm than Donnie Gay and Monty Hintz, you know, and, uh, you know, so they, they made me feel like I was 10 years older. I, you know, I was like 29 at the time, they had 19 or 18. Uh, so they made me feel like a kid again. You know, we just had a ball, you know, um, but I remember setting them down one day and I said, okay, we don't want to make the same mistake that, that I made. I want you to know where you're going, where you want to be 15 years from now. How many world championships have you won? What have you accomplished? Because if you know where you're going, you get there. Most people don't know where they're going. You know, they become a wonder in generality instead of a meaningful, meaningful specific, as Zig Ziglar used to put it. But so Donnie said, I've won more world championships than anyone's ever won. I said, that's a great goal, but you're only going to win them one at a time. And when you win that first one, enjoy your 15 minutes of fame and then leave it behind. Because the only thing you're focusing on is world's championship number two. You know, you're not a world's champion going in. You're a contender. You go in there at even with everybody else. You want to win a world's championship. I said, that's the only way that you can do it. You know, and he just kept. I remember he, when he won that first and he walked over to me, tossed me the buckle, said, take a good look, champ. First heel on the way to the mount, you know. So, you know, and you see what he went ahead and accomplished. And Sage Kimsey, I've told him the same thing. You know, he come to four of my schools. You know, and, and he really embraced the mental side of the game. He set goals. Uh, I remember one year Donnie come to me and, and and he legitimately got screwed. He rode two bulls that had never been rode and went third on both of them. On, on and, and they rode tail chasers to beat him. So he had a legitimate bitch. But when you got 10 bulls, you can't waste your energy on on something you can't control. You know, so so Donnie come told me he was on his show and he was bitching about, you know, getting screwed. And so I texted him that night when I, I was having my bucket ball there at the, at the, at, uh, the Gold Coast that year. And so I, uh, I texted him about three in the morning when I got home and I said, Sage, I said, we've talked about this many times. You, you never give energy to something you can't control. I said, you can't control the weather. You can't control the judges and you can't control, you know, uh, you know the draw. What you can control is your attitude and your preparation and that's it you know so if you're wasting energy you know two rounds later on something that you that that's already passed that you have no control over that's energy you need for the next <laughs> so many bulls you're getting on you know so leave it behind so he texted me back the next morning and said thanks i needed that <laughs> you know so you know so i'm you know, I constantly reminding him stay focused stay focused this year he had a little slump in the middle but every day i told him nobody rides better than you you're the best 
you know, don't lose faith, just stay focused. And, you know, he come back like he always does, and, you know, made some great rides and pulled her off, won another world championship, you know? So, you know, that guy is like, he's so consistent and he's, and he's, you know, he's one of the few guys in, in bull run that does not have a weak side. You know, Jose Lemmy has really worked at, at hard at, at shearing up his, his riding away from his hand. That's why he's won like two PBR world championships, but you know, the Brazilians, they are higher on, 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 the, on him than they are JB Mooney because they say they, they feel like he's the most complete bull rider they've ever seen. You know, and they'd all love to be able to ride bulls away from their hand like he does, you know, and, and he because he doesn't have a weak direction. No matter what they do, when he's on, he rides them with ease. So would your teaching aspect, would that have started with like being around Donnie? Like, do you kind of see that for yourself as your next step in your career of becoming like the, this teacher and what you do now? Um, when I, you know, when I was, when I started the schools, you know, years ago, uh, you know, tell you the truth, I was a horrible teacher you know, for, <laughs> for mechanic wise, you know, because we didn't have no video then, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it, so much was on the unconscious side of the mind, you know, but, you know, but I'm always a curious, I have, a, I've always had a curious mind. I've always tried to figure out how, what makes things work, you know, and I, you know, I, I invented the drop barrel and, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've invented all kinds of stuff, you know, because, you know, I, I, I'm always looking at it a very, you know, from a, from a kind of a just backing up and having a, a look at it and see see what works, you know. And, and uh, you know, so I studied bull riding probably more than anybody has ever studied bull riding. I, you know, I broke it down. I, I was the first one back in when nobody had videotape. I bought, I spent $20,000 on three-quarter inch tape. That's the only, the only place that three-quarter inch tape was was at TV places. And the only thing you could do then was just stop at a frame at a time. But I was able to stop frame bull rides and see, you know, the two point position where the great riders rode as opposed to where the non great were. And, and, uh, you know, and, and it started evolving, you know, I, I become a better and better teacher and, you know, and, and, and I'm a way better teacher now than I was 20 years ago, you know, cause I've, I've never quit, you know, as a teacher, you never quit learning. You know? So, you know, and you learn a lot from your students as well, you know, so, uh, you know, but, you know, obviously, you know, we, we won nine out of 10 rounds this year. Most of, most of the rounds were won first and second by my students, Josh Frost, who, who, uh, you know, I did, per, did personal training with me. Um, his brother, Joe sent him to me, he said he's in a slump, you know, and he's having hell, you know, go see the guru, you know, so he paid for his way out. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, so, uh, I was able to, you know, to, to, to look at these guys see where they're at and, and, and sh show them how to fix themselves, you know? So we've been improving on that again and again and again. And uh, we're at the point right now where, you know, like I said, at Denver this week, Josh went Denver, uh, Bubba Gregg kid has been with me ever since he was like 12, 13 years old. Uh, he won second. He's, I think they're first and second in the world right now. Um, Bubba's way in the lead for the rookie of the year, you know, and he's, uh, and he had, he was having big time hip problems last year. Yeah, you know, so he, he finally found someone that works on him, keeps them hips in place. And, you know, he's really starting off having a good year. Stopped off to see me a couple of weeks ago. He's in a slump on bulls into his hand. We took a look at him. He is getting his arm in front of his face. Uh, we kicked that elbow back out in front, got that elbow behind his ear, and he's been good since, you know. So I, I'm kind of like a motor mechanic. I, I can take a look at a rider and I can find what what's going on, you know. Number one cause buck off that this year's NFR was guys throwing their arm in front of their face on bulls into their hand. You know, I hate that move, you know, um, 
you, you look at Josh Frost and, and, and Bubba Greggs there at, at Denver this, this week, you see that elbow stays behind their ear the whole time. You know, they just locked in. Donnie Gay kept it back here. You know, when I, I put a deal above, of uh, Bubba, uh, uh, I don't know, Bubba Goodo. I think of Bubba Goodo way back in the good old days. Uh, anyway, one of these young riders was throwing his arm in front of his face, and I just put him briefly, you know, and then he, he, he was unhappy about it, so I took it down. But uh, Donnie Gay, you know, I said, number one cause of buck off this year's NFR was guys throwing their arms in front of their face going into their hand. And Donnie Gay commented and said, in my sentiments, exactly. You know, because he didn't pick <laughs> that arm in front of the face. He kept that somebody's behind his ear, you know. But that's something, you know. Uh, there was a couple of guys years ago that, that kind of started that move. And, and the reason they did, they rode loops on the inside. And when you run your spur in a loop back then, you had to keep your your weight on the outside so that weight so that loop would stay locked in there if you tipped over in there and that foot went down it would kick it out so they they developed that move throw behind their head throw it around front slide their butt out and keep that that loop locked in that's where that move come from you sounds know but like, it's not a proper move if you're not a loop rider sounds like a chris shivers move to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it right on the nose you know he was the world's best at it you know but huh. uh you know him being you know going in early he was you know he uh you know, I, I think they never did. They never did disqualify him his whole career, you know, because he was such a big, big star overnight, you know. And uh, so they let him have it, you know. So I see, remember there was a Brazilian come over. He had both of them, you know, and they they disqualified him. He slammed Cody Lambert up against the chute. They throwed him out for a year and he never did come back, you know. Hmm. But, uh, you know, and but I see some of the Brazilians here lately. I see them reaching down there. They got their chaps a little longer. And I see a lot of them because they're weak away from their hand. They're really really tough into their hand but some of them i see are starting to grab loops and and um, because their shafts are long i guess the judges can't see it and they kind of let them get away with it you know but, but i haven't heard uh, them call it in a while now it's, it, it was yeah, kind they, of a thing they called like, it a long time but i see some yeah. guys are still doing it you know so especially huh. some brazilians are starting because they're weak away from their hand most of them you know now adriano marias was was different he he was a he was a straight armor he straight armed out out there rode around on his legs he was really he he liked him away from his hand better than he did into his hand and i don't know where he learned that i know charles sampson i picked him up in in la he didn't have no money i said he'll come up i'll trade you out work for for lessons and so he used to come up live at the place and i trained him how to ride bulls after he become a legendary champion he had a school in brazil and adrian would come to that school and so uh, I remember my son Judd asked Adriano one day, he said, do you do drills? And he said, in front of a mirror for hours, for hours, roll the shoulder behind the ear, roll the shoulder behind the ear for hours. You know, so, so <laughs> and, and I had, you know, you remember at the house, the big full length mirror I had, uh, you know, in my gym in there where we trained, you know, I used to put Charles in front of that and have him do those drills, uh, you know, where he'd see himself, make sure he wasn't making any mistakes. So he said, when he was down there, he got Adriano in front of a mirror and got him to do that. So he learned them mirror drills. And I think that's probably where he learned how to straight arm out instead of lift on bulls away from his hand. Cause he was really good. Uh, and he's like Sage Kimsey. He's like, he's good either way. So there's a few things. So one thing that really piqued my interest and something that I've been uh, focused on for a long time is the meditation side of things in the, and you mentioned the different states of consciousness. There's only one time where I remember being uh, like in front of the, uh, I'm not sure what, what state it is, but I was actually in front of the, like the TV screen where it was just the black and gray, uh, kind of, I don't even know what you call it, but it was like static. It was just kind of like gray. And it was, I was just at a, I was in a different spot at that point, but I haven't been able to get back there. Um, 
most of what I do is on the guided side of things. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious, but, but you mentioned the different states of consciousness and, and I'm just curious on your, uh, your experience that way and, and what those different levels are and how people experience you that. Know, and I think one of the most important parts of meditation is breathing, you know, is getting the breathing down because your average breath rate is about 12 to 18 breaths per minute. You know, and we have a tape we do with it, with it we listen to it with a gal called Anna Wise. It's called a high performance mind. And uh, she'll say, okay, I want you to, for the next minute to, to, to just monitor every thought that goes through your head. That minute seems like it goes on forever, you know, because you just got one thought after another. You're kind of tripping from one thought to another. And then she goes, okay, minute up. She goes, okay, this time I want you to do another minute, but I want you to relax your tongue. When you relax your tongue, it's hard to talk to yourself because you find yourself talking to yourself during that minute. So you do another minute, you know, uh, without where we're totally relaxing your tongue where you don't talk to yourself. Um, then she says, okay, you know, um, your average breath rate is 12, 12 to 18 breaths per minute, you know. So, so she says, I want you to count how many breaths you take in this next minute. And, and when that minute's up, there'll be somewhere between 12 and 18. And I've done this many times with my students. So I said, okay, let's slow that down the next time to maybe three or four breaths per minute. I get, I, you know, I get down to the point where I, I'm, a, I'm a breath and a half in, in a minute, you know. And, and I'm not losing any oxygen. I'm just very slow in and very slow out. But as you slow that down, you start to switch over to the other side of the mind. You know? And uh, my students have done it. They'll say they'll do it before they get on. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, where you see guys back behind the chutes trying to slap themselves, trying to get that adrenaline running, get that feeling. Well, when you're on the conscious side of the mind, it won't come. You know, fight or flight comes naturally. You know, so when you, when you relax, and, 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 and you start to slow your breathing way down. And, and that's all you can think about is just your breathing just right there. You know, all of a sudden the shoot bus says you're next, your heart starts pounding, adrenaline starts running, everything comes naturally, you know, but when you visualize and you do visualization, you do that same thing. You get those, those breath rates way down and, and it just starts sinking you down into that other level of consciousness, you know, and, and, and you'll go down, uh, with Anna Wise, the first time I, I read her book is I did her technique. And, and I remember I was, uh, I just seen these incredible, like bluish green colors, like more vivid than, than anything I'd ever seen. It was like, I was just mesmerized by them. Then all of a sudden there was this almost like it was a spotlight and it looked like a horse jumping up and down on this guy, stomping him and biting him. And I go, what the hell? And when I move in close, this guy's got a, a broken leg and it's run out through his pants leg, you know, and I go, holy shit, that's me. <laughs> and it was a, a traumatic experience when I, a bull snapped my leg off. When you're in the NFR, it's like 16 degrees on the arena floor that night. And it was so cold that when I, I took my wrap, that, that rosin just froze in my hand. You probably experienced that in Canada because you're riding a lot more cold <laughs> places than we do down here, you know. And and I normally I could get off away from my hand, but I, and it hung me just long enough to kind of throw me back under that bull and it snapped my leg off. And then I'm trying to run. He's trying to hook me. And, and all of a sudden I look down. I'm looking at the bottom of my foot, looking at me at my knee and a bone stuck in the my bone stuck out through my pants leg, you know. And so most traumatic experience in my life. You know, you think your career's ended and everything else, you know, but that those experiences will get trapped in your subconscious. So 
you know, she said, okay, do this, this, and this, and we're talking about what you've seen. So when I, when I opened the book back up, she goes, okay, is this, here's what you might've seen. She, she described the vivid colors. And then she said, said, maybe uninvited imagery, a traumatic experience out of your childhood or your past. And there was nothing more, more traumatic in my whole life than seeing that, especially when it's on me. <laughs> so, so, but she said, when those experiences, when you relive them, that releases them. Otherwise they, they, they could, you know, you can live the rest of your life with fear and phobias and all kinds of stuff, you know? So it was a good, it was a good exercise, but then uh, doing more with her, I, I was able to go down. I, you know, I, I've actually had conversations with people uh, uh, at that lower level of consciousness. I remember one time I was, uh, I, there's a, a one called the hall of doors where you go down this, this, this long hallway of just brightly colored doors on both sides and you'll go in one door and then you just kind of see what's in there, you know? And if you don't like, you change it, you know, cause you're magic down there. And, but I walked up to this door one day and it said the sage on it, you know? So I said, oh, that's cool. So I opened it and this mystic sea, sage looked like a cross between Willie Nelson and maybe one of those guys out of the, the, the Lord of the Rings and <laughs> in there. And he goes, uh, you know, what can I do for you? You know? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, sage, I, uh, I got, I'm kind of scattered right now. I got, I got, I got like 10 projects going on and, and I'm, you know, when you got too many projects going, I ain't going anywhere. I, I need to kind of figure out which ones to get rid of and which direction to go. He said, well, tell me about. It. So I told him about the first one and he said, total waste of time. What else you got? You know? And uh, so I told him about my next one. He said, wouldn't waste another ounce of energy on that. What else you got? You know? So he shot me down, shot me down. And, uh, so the only thing I had left is I'd read a book called The Artist's Way and I'd started writing. And uh, they have a deal in The Artist's Way where you write three pages of dialogue without thinking about what you're writing. It's like automatic writing. You just let it come straight from the subconscious. You might have something like bull riding on the top or, you know, whatever, just anything. Just put a, put a heading, clear your head, don't think, and just write. It comes straight from the subconscious, you know. And uh, so all, you know, I used to think I could write. But when I sat down to write, I switched from the unconscious to the conscious and everything looked like shit. You know? So I said, shit, maybe I can't write, you know, I thought I could, but I can't, you know, but when I, when I wrote without thinking about what I was writing, all of a sudden, at first, a lot of shit come out, you know, it's like, it's like hitting the, the junk button on your computer. You start throwing junk out of your brain that don't need to be there. You know, you start throwing shit out, those shit out. And then pretty soon it starts to refine and everything started to come on. The Holy shit, this is some cool stuff. You know, I can write, you know? And uh, so, you know, I ended up writing a script. I sold it to Johnny Knoxville, uh, you know, but when I, when I told the sage that, that all I had left was, 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 uh, you know, I'd read this book and I'd start writing and I really liked it. He said, that's, he said, that's your direction. Follow it. I said, really? He goes, yeah. One month later, I, uh, I got a call from a friend of mine in, in, uh, who trained horses for the best writer in Hollywood. And he said, hey, this guy that I trained horses for is trying to do a Western, but he's about to give up on the project because he can't get in the spirit of it. I should get you two together. I said, yeah, I want to meet him. Ten minutes after I met this guy, he said, you want to go to work for me? I said, you got a lot of money? I'm expensive. He said, I got a lot of money. <laughs> so he put me up in a $3,500 a month luxury apartment paid me more money than a show dog could jump over and i worked on him i, I worked with him for three and a half years uh, doing uh you know just writing every day and he, he come up to me and say what would this actor what would this 
this guy say here and I give him a line, he go tell the actor and they give it to him. You know? So uh, it was like three and a half years of just getting paid for having fun every day. Just an incredible uh, time in my life, you know, but it wouldn't have probably showed up had not the sage told me that's the direction you need to go, you know, and then everything, the law of attraction started, started manifesting. And, and uh, you know, so I don't know whether it was a real sage or whether it was a wiser part of myself. Don't care. <laughs> it, it, but you'll see some stuff down there that'll blow you away, really blow you away, you know? So it's, it's almost like you're in another dimension when you go down there, when you get down there, right. You know? Um, but the thing of it is you can't force your way down there. You have to be on, you have to relax and just let yourself go there and still to try to force yourself there, you know, but once you start learning how to get there, you know, you'll, you'll find some amazing things happen in your life because uh, magic happens down there. And so you'd suggest, you know, reading a few of these different books, going into some further yeah, uh, guided you know, meditation. I, you know, you, you know, Anna Wise is, is, is gone now, but if you, you can go on, uh, you know, Amazon, Amazon has everything anymore and find, uh, find her uh, uh, high performance mind tapes, you know, and then uh, there's one called the hall of doors, you know, start with the hall of doors because that's when I started with but it's there's some great meditations on there and and her tapes will t you know you know and I've done done them with students for years and then I ask them what they've seen after you know while they were down there and they you know and the biggest percentage of the guys that that were in the in the school doing them seen some wild stuff while they were there I remember one guy told me one day I said what do you see down there he said I see my wife watching this tv show and he, we were in California she was in North Carolina around the eastern seaboard uh, I said well call her up he said, no, she's at work. I said, I bet she ain't, you know, he calls her up. She was home. <laughs> I said, yeah. Oh, wow. said, were you just watching this certain show? She, you know, he said, what are you doing home? She goes, oh, well, I didn't feel good today. I feel sick. He said, we watching this certain show. He said, how'd you know? So, you know, we're all clairvoyant. We all have, you know, we have mental powers that we don't know we even have, you know, too. But once you start going down there more and more, you start opening that side of your mind up and you become much more, uh, much more clairvoyant, much more open. Uh, things start coming to you uh, more and more. You know, your direction in life starts coming to you. You know, so it's uh, it's uh, it's you know it's it's you know once you get into meditation, it's something that you that you always be with because it's you know and it's something I always try to get my students to to start meditating uh, on their future. You know, and then setting up that law of attraction and and. Uh, and going down there for guidance, you know, you, you just say you actually a lot of times you go there with an open mind and and, and you kind of receive messages, what direction to go on or uh, the automatic writings. Another great thing is, is you just put bull riding down, slow your breathing down, you know, take time to just clear your head. Zen masters say when you clear your head of all conscious thought, you experience you, you uh, experience the, uh, the experience of 10,000 lifetimes. There's nothing you don't ain't already know how to do when you totally clear your head of all thought. Thought the, the conscious thought process just gets in the way. You got to get on the other side of the mind. Uh, I read a book called Surfing the Himalayas, and it's all about Zen. And Zen's not a religion; it's a, it's a philosophy. And uh, so I'd been to the cowboy downhill for I don't know how many damn years, twenty years, something like that, and I never made it through that course because I'm not a skier, you know, and. Uh, I'd always try to think my way through it. And I'd crash somewhere down there. If I made it to the jump, I'd crash there. Usually didn't even make it that far. But according to this book, if I cleared, it did the, the, the head clearing process and pretended I was a professional skier, 
all the skill that that it takes to be a professional skier would come to me you know so i was in this line and i was 57 at the time there was a guy from Vale that i was skiing against he was 25 and uh, an excellent an excellent skier and he said i drew you old man i said hey show some respect punk he said i'll show you some respect i'll be waiting for you with a beer when i get down there at the, the bottom you know i said you want to bet he said yeah what do you want to bet i said i need a ski jacket but when i beat you you're going to have it embossed gary looking back at you lafue i might have showed it to you while you were there. <laughs> right here but he sent me that he sent it to me and but on the way to that uh, that starting line you know my I, I i slowed my breathing down i cleared my head my heart was jumping through my chest. I had adrenaline running through just like I was getting on the rankest bull in the world. Yet the best state that you can be in in athletics is called hyperbody quiet mind. Worst state that you can be in is hyperbody hypermind. You know, hypermind cannot control hyperbody. You have to have a quiet mind. Quiet mind works at the speed of light. Hypermind is erratic. So I was in that totally hyperbody quiet mind state. The gun went off. I'm a professional skier. I shot out of there, down through them gates. I went over that jump, through the rest of the gates, slid to a stop, broke this girl, uh, saddled this horse, crossed the line. I looked back. The guy's two-thirds of the way down the hill. <laughs> I'm already crossed the line. He come down there and said, yo, long and so much where you learned to ski like that. I thought, I don't know. I just did it, you know. <laughs> out of 157 guys, I went third in that contest, you know. One guy went both of them, the downhill and the, and the, uh, and the gates, and – uh, he was like an Olympian. He was that good. Uh, I think Buddy Golden went second. He was an excellent skier. Uh, and I and he beat me by a tenth of a second, something like that. So, you know, mm. where did I learn to ski like that? Couldn't tell you. Same. But it's, when I was riding bulls, uh, it was almost like I was above myself watching myself, but I knew better not to get down there and mess with it. God, fuck it up. You know, <laughs> Go, you know <laughs> like an out-of-body, you know, leave it alone. You know, the one of the worst things can happen. Cost me penal in Oregon in 1960. Five, I guess. Uh, my rookie year was it 64, 60, might have been 64. I think it was 64 I, from what I was reading. Yeah, I think it was 64. Yeah, that first year that I went there. Uh, as I went, as I went second in the first round, come back in the short round with a bull called troubleshooter, you know, and 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 he's away from my hand and and I'm just knocking him out you know for about seven seconds I'm, I'm right in the middle of him and all of a sudden i say to myself i'm going to win penalty the second i said that i'm on the ground because you switch from the con unconscious to the conscious soon as you start to count your money <laughs> so so you know then i i come back in 72 and and i uh, that's during that hot streak that i was on where i, I rode every damn thing and i and uh, i remember when i was in the uh, i was in the roadie office, and this guy said, man, whatever you do, don't draw me this bull. This I'm jerking everybody down. And they said, Gary LeFew, I drew him, you know. So I went out and listened to a, a tape by, uh, hang on a second here. He had a he had a, a program called Dare to Be Great. And he was a hair lip from, from uh, Alabama, you know, who went into sales. They said, hey, you can't sell you again. You hardly talk. You know, by the time he's 33 years old, he's worth $150 million. You know, this guy was so motivated. He had me so pumped up. Man, all I could think about was spur that bull in the neck, you know. And I spurred him every round, win the, win the short round. Uh, but the last bull rider out by Claypool rode many, many shadows and beat me by a point. So I, then I come back, you know, hell, I wasn't even rodeoing anymore in 1979. I, uh, I, uh, some of my students said, hell, make a little run with us. My son Judd was about four years old. So I loaded him up in Judd. And these other kids, we would start going some rodeos night. And every rodeo I went to, I rode my bull 
but I didn't place. And they said, man, you're unlucky. I said, no, I'm due. You know, I go next to writing. They say, you're unlucky. I said, no, I'm due. You know, so I go to Penland. They said, when you up? I said, uh, eight o'clock in the morning slack. They said, you're unlucky. I said, I'm due. You know, so it was cold. It was like, you know, there was, there was uh, frost all over them, that lawn out there that morning. I put Judd up there with some girls, got on this bull. He must have been cold as me because he licked his butt right in the gate and I went second in the round. Come back, I was 89 in the short round, win the short round, win the average. And I come back, had all this stuff. I said, told you, boys, I was due. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I got hot and started winning everything, you know. So, uh, you know, so it's, yeah, you just, you know, there's peaks and valleys in rodeos. You know, you're just, you're going to have hot streaks, you're going to have cold streaks. But as long as you stay motivated, you stay focused, you know, it'll all end up, you'll end up in the right spot at the end of the year, you know. There's a, there's a couple more things, Gary. So you mentioned Johnny Knoxville. I really want to get to that. Yeah. But before we go there, I want to ask about your current goals. You talk about peaks and valleys in, in bull riding, but there's peaks and valleys in all of our lives too. And that this all, we can kind of make things a little smoother yeah. with our mindset, but there, even so there's still peaks and valleys, but I, I want to talk about that a little bit, but talk about what your current goals are. What, like, what are you working on? Where, what's your vision for the next, you know, 25, 30 years, like what, what, what does it look like? Or where do you, and what do you, what are your goals you know, right I, now? I, you know, you know, I, I've really focused a lot, you know, and you know, they say, if you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life, you know, and I love coaching, you know, as I've, you know, I've, uh, uh, and I, and I love figuring things out and I, and I love seeing guys win, you know, and I, so, so, you know, my goals for, for, I don't know how long have, have been, you know, to be the world's best coach, you know, to, to, to make my students, you know, take them to that next level, take them that ch- championship level you know and 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 and, and you know we're, my, my students are really dominating you know everyone they're still talking the old lift and reach techniques you know and everyone you know terry don west said yeah that's not you talk about that bunch of bullshit about pushing all that stuff you know he was one of the great push riders that ever lived you know? <laughs> he didn't do it you know i said i watched a million videos of him but you know what i said you need his straight arm he got his arm stuck out between his ass that far i said is that if that's a lift that's a backward lift you know but you mentioned lift, you go to your school, he cusses you, you know, man, he just, you know, and he just like, you know, you can't, as a teacher, you can't be hard-headed, you can't be, you have to be open-minded, you know, because you, what you think you're, you know, even Donnie Gay, when, uh, you know, when I sat down with him at the finals there one year, and, and I, and I, you know, I had all these pictures, stuff that you can put on your internet now, but back then I had to go through a machine and run, run video through a machine, and it would, I'd stop a frame and it'd make a picture for me, so I had all these pictures of these uh, incredible rides at the top of the jump and at the top of the kick. And I carried them around with me and I'd show them to different guys and I'd say, this is where you want to be. And uh, so uh, I wanted to put them on the internet and, and uh, you know, on, on YouTube and show the young riders and kind of break them down. Show, you know what, the same thing I do on, on the internet today is just breaking guys down and show, showing the young riders how the great riders ride and how they straight arm out there, the angles they get into their hand, what they do going away from their hand. And, you know, I just, I just put it out there because it's, you know, it's, it's right in front of you. You can't deny it, you know? And uh, so I said, you know, I said, I told Donnie Gay, I said, Donnie, I want, I want to put you, I want to put Tough Edelman and Tough and Jim Sharp, all them guys, they were fine. But Donnie goes, let's get on the same page. What are you trying to show? So we sat down lunch in Las Vegas and I, and I put all these, uh, these, uh, these pictures in front of him. I had five different sets of him under the table. And I, and I laid them out there, and here's Tough Edom and Jim Sharp. I mean, uh, you name it, the, the Adrian Morales, the, you know, the legend of the game. 
and at the top of the jump, top of the kick, you know, and they're all at their butts, you know, even with the rope out foot in front of the rope and sometimes. So uh, I said, what do you think of these pictures? Donnie took his finger, he ran down each one of them, he slammed his finger down. He says, every one of these guys are in what I call improper position. I said, really? If they were in your school, what would you tell them? He said, well, I tell them, get their ass back down on that bull and get a bend in their arm like I do on the Mighty Bucky. And of all the things that, that creates bad habits, the Mighty Bucky is the worst, you know, because it's, it's anything you're spending. The old, you go back to the old El Toro when it cracked out in the, in the 70s. Uh, everybody bought one, you know. And they start riding it and start spinning. Well, it's backing up. Well, it creates the motion of a bull backing up. You get a backing up bull, you're going to ride him perfect. But a bull going forward, it, 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 it totally annihilated guys. Start sitting down on their ass, you know. And I, I bought one. Didn't take me very long to see that it wasn't working. And the only thing I did was use it as a jump and kick. I used it like a, 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 an ancient drop barrel because you get out on the front of it, it made a fairly good drop barrel. Kind of uncomfortable on your legs. But I remember seeing pictures of Mike Lee. He had one of the old El Toros that, that didn't spin. It was an old Bronx machine. And he had, a, he had a switch in his garage. He'd go out there and get on and just post, set his hips, post, set his hips, just ride it, jump and kick it. You know, he'd come in the PBR, was riding 86% of the bulls. He was getting on, he was the highest percentage in there. You know, uh, the thing that turned him around after he won the world championship is he changed ropes to one of them cross pack ropes where you, you double braid the bottom and you run the handle at an angle. Well, that, that runs your knuckles down there where you can't turn your knuckles over to get out in front of your ropes. I got pictures of Mike with his, his hand that far behind his butt in his championship days. He went three years, never won a cup, and his riding went from 86% to below 50%, and he got injured a bunch during that period because he, could, he couldn't get back out in front of that rope where he'd been riding before. So there's a lot of variables there that no matter how, how much you want to get out in front of your rope, you can't get there if your rope won't let you get there. When I was in Mexico, I... I had like 30 some kids at a, at a school in Saltillo, Mexico. We spent three days just doing drills and I turned every one of their Brazilian ropes over to the point where they could turn their hand over and get out front. Their riding turned around so much when they started riding, it was unbelievable. They got out in front of that rope. They couldn't believe how easy them ranked bulls rode once they got out there. And there was some talented young kids down there that just never had been out there where, where, where the money is, you know? Uh, but anyway, we go back to the Mighty Bucky down and say, you know, get on, the, you know, like I do on the Mighty Bucky, you know. And then when I showed these these five pictures of him out in front of his rope with his hand between it, but behind his ass that far, he was flabbergasted. He goes, that's bullshit. That's Kyrie Angle. I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> Two years later, he finally come up to me. He said, I owe you an apology. And every kid I ever told an apology because I taught him wrong. You know? So, so, you know, with eight world championships, you'd think you'd know how you ride. But you don't because I didn't know how I rode, you know, even though I was a world champion and everything I'd done. Uh, you know, I had I had to go back and and and, and break it down and, and, you know, and what I thought I knew I didn't know, you know, as I just, uh, you know, to become a teacher, I had to make sure that I was teaching it right. You know, so I broke it down every, one jump at a time, every type of bull, you know. And and uh, well, so I was curious more about kind of goals you have now is it's it's still to be the greatest bull riding coach in the in the business yeah you know i'm 77 years old the other day i got you probably might see yeah. a picture of me going going over jumps with no hands you know so you know i you know I, you know i'm 77 but you know i i feel like i'm 57 you know maybe 47 you know i'm in really good health uh, during COVID, I got, I gained a little weight you know because you know they cancel all my schools and we're sitting around eating you know and but I, 
when I was in Mexico, I, when I was stretching those, those, those ropes of those Mexican kids, one of them had about 10 fingers slack. And I thought, maybe if we could stretch it, we could get something out of there. So I, I had it on a, you know, on a leverage point, uh, you know, for on a, on a bucket shoot. And I had, I kept putting guys on it. When I got the fifth guy on it, it broke and it come back and hit me in the hand, you know, and it Ouch. annihilated the bone in my hand. And damn it, you know, just like when they x-rayed it, it, it there was like these holes in it. They, they were scared it was cancer for a while. So I had to have it operated on and, but it was okay. And uh, they cleaned it up. But during the test, they said, you realize that you're, you're borderline diabetic. I said, no shit. You know, so I was like 174 pounds then. I'm 144 now. So I dropped 30 pounds. Uh, you know, I feel better than I ever have in my life, you know? So it's just like, you know, I just, uh, uh, I, I stay on a high protein diet, you know, and I, uh, I exercise, I, you know, I think because my mind is constantly working, I, you know, I, uh, it keeps you young, you know, so, uh, I'm probably the youngest 77 year old you'll, you'll meet for a while. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, the mar the mind's still sharper, you know, everything works, you know? So, uh, you know, so I'm happy, you know, I'm, uh, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, like I say, I wrote a movie script. I'd, I'd like, I'm probably going to write a book one of these days. And, 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 and I, I got to go back to California. I've been back in five years. But uh, when I was, when I finished Deadwood, I, I spent, uh, I forget how many months writing uh, a, a screenplay. I woke up every, every night uh, about one o'clock in the morning uh, with a head full of stories, you know. And I wrote from one o'clock in the morning till, till 12 o'clock at night uh, and then I'd sleep for maybe two hours and then I'd wake up you know from then on about two o'clock in the morning to 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 midnight I would write sleep two hours and then do it again you know uh, between two in the morning when I started writing and midnight the next night went by like in a flash I, I would be lost in writing and I'd always play classical music and I would write uh, totally from the unconscious side of the mind, you know, where I wasn't thinking about what I was writing. I just wrote. Uh, but I would, I would think maybe a half hour went by and I'd look up at six hours it went by, you know, you, you're in a, you know, it's like Einstein said times uh, there's no constant to time. It can go by really fast. It can go by really slow. He said, if you left the earth at the speed of light and you stayed in space for 10 years, when you come back, uh, three generations would have come and gone, you know? So I, 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 Quantum physics will blow you away when you start thinking about it. But they talk about how connected everything is. You know, a subatomic particle on Earth knows what a subatomic particle is doing on a galaxy 150 million light years away from us at the same time. They're, we're that connected, you know. So when uh, you, you start to realize how manifestation works when you start manifesting things into your life when you start focusing what you want to be and what you want to do and you start put feeling in it because feeling feelings are, are like the the energy that 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 sends out the radio beacons to the universe that brings everything back into your life you need to make those goals become a reality you know it, it's very very powerful you know uh, i my I've, I've been working with barrel racers you know and, and barrel racing is uh such a mental game you know, because you have to have that connection between the rider and the animal, you know, and, and they have to go there together. You get, you get them, you get them, you know, if they don't get down on that same level, that animal, they just fuck them up. You know, uh, I was sitting with uh, uh, Carly Pierce 
signed an autograph a few years ago at the finals and five, five rounds went by. And I said, how are you doing this year, Carly? She said, well, I'm number one in one category. That's what I said. She goes, no one's knocked over more barrels than me. She goes, <laughs> you know, she's had only knocked over two barrels all year. And I knocked over three the first night. It's just been a shit show. Uh, I said, what well, seems to be the problem? She goes, well, I don't think my horse likes this arena. I don't like the color of the walls. I said, no, that's not the problem. She goes, what is the problem? I said, from the checkup, from the neck up, I said, uh, it's called beta brainwaves, you know, because horses don't have beta brainwaves, they're lower level consciousness. And I said, when you're on beta brainwaves, the same way the bull, he'll fight the shoot, he'll run you down the gate, he gets goofier in hell when you're on the wrong, when you're on the conscious side of the mind. You drop down that other side, you go there together. Uh, Sage Kimsey, every time he gets on a bull, he slaps him on the hump, he said, hey, Hey, we're just two balls of energy going in the same direction. You know, so, you know, so, you know, you, uh, but these barrel races, you know, I said, okay, I, I'm going to teach you some visualization and some breathing techniques that'll put you down there. Cause we want to get you in that feeling spot where your horse is, get you down there. I want you to remember the best, what it felt like, not what it looked like, what it felt like the best run that you ever made in your life, you know? And uh, so, Using that technique, she went out that night and broke the arena record. In the next five rounds, she won uh, two firsts, uh, three seconds, and over $80,000. You know, everything turned around for her. She brings her boyfriend to me the next year, and he's in the, in the Boyd Gaming shootout uh, against Joe Beaver, fucking Cody Old, every legend, legendary calf roper out there, you know, and he's scared shitless, you know. And, and so I talked with him an hour about, you know, about what we talked about when, when I showed up and, and I had the shittiest bull there and my thoughts made him the best bull there. I changed him by my thought process. I didn't go there and just accept the fact that he was a, a, a bad draw. If I had him, he was a good draw, you know? So I said, we used, I said, the worst thing about calf ropers is they, is they're mentally beat when they, when they draw the kicking calf or they draw this calf or the calf runs too fast, he kicked or whatever. I said, no matter what he is, if you got him, he's the one to have, you know? So on the way out the rodeo the next day, he goes, he turns to Carly, he goes, God, I hope I don't draw that kicking calf. She turns and says, what, Carly, if you spend an hour telling you last night, if you got him, that's the one you need. He gets there, he's got the kicking calf. <laughs> he goes out with a good attitude, wins the round, you know, ends up winning the whole shoot match, beats all them guys, wins, wins the contest, you know. So everything turns around when you start to send out a different energy and, and, and a different message to the universe, you know. So um, don't accept the fact that, that, you, this bull don't work or that don't work, you know, make them work. You know, you, you mentioned Johnny Knoxville a while ago. There's a new Jackass movie, Jackass forever coming out in February here. Um, you sold a, a, a script to Johnny or what? Yeah, was the story we, we come with it. We come really close to getting it made. Uh, uh, Mike judge, the guy that does King of the Hill was going to direct it. Johnny and Luke Wilson were going to play the characters in it. Um, Spike Jones was, was producing it. Uh, I mean, we were, you know, uh, the only mistake that got made was because I'm not a, a script writer, but all the stories were there, you know, and it was a comedy instead of a, a serious piece. And, and so I sat down in Johnny's house one night. Uh, Johnny Luke Wilson was there. Mike Judge was there. Uh, Spike Jones was there. And the Borat brothers were there. The Borat brothers were put up 10 million. They loved the stories, you know, uh, Johnny and, and Luke were going to play in it. I mean, we had a dream team together. Uh, we wanted Mike Judge's guy to rewrite it because he's a comedy guy. You know, you're watching his stuff, King of the, uh, what, oh, King yeah. of the Hill. Yeah, King of the Hill's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's funny. Great guy, you know. Uh, and, and 
you know, and when you're rodeoing, you know, we only worked eight seconds a day. So we got into a lot of mischief in those days. You know? <laughs> so, it was, you know, so there was a, a million great stories in there. You know, there's even more than they didn't have to make 10 scripts, you know, but uh, and they loved the stories. Johnny called me up one, uh, one night, the next day, he said, do you realize in this one, Mike Judge and, and all them guys were at his house. And he said, do you realize that you told stories for eight hours straight nonstop? He said it was like Comedy Central just had a laugh in their ass off. Judd was with me and he was telling stories. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, you know, they just, they couldn't wait to make the movie. Uh, the problem was, instead of Mike Judge guy re rewriting it, uh, Spike Jones owed a, fra uh, a favor to some guy from Mill Valley. Uh, he rewrote it, took out all the funny stuff, tried to make a serious piece out of it. And that's, uh, and I think that's probably what they do with all rodeo scripts is they try to make them too serious instead of putting the fun part in there. Uh, and then the board brother says, we, we, we want, we want to buy a comedy. We don't want a serious piece. And then the movie business timing's everything, you know, so it kind of got, uh, kind of guy, this guy went that way, that guy went away. So it kind of went away, you know, but, but I got to go home, uh, in February and all, all the stories that I wrote and all the stories, uh, the funniest stories that, uh, and things that ever happened in, that I seen and, and was a part of in, in, in my rodeo career are all there, you know, so I'm bringing those back and, and, uh, you know, I'll put them into book form. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're going to start getting them out there, you know, and, and uh, I actually, I met with some guys uh, that do uh, web uh, webcasts uh, or podcasts for uh, NASCAR, you know, and they really, they really like these stories, you know, and so uh, they want to start doing some podcasts and just, you know, bringing up them stories, you know, and so I said, shit, I got every one of them written down. I got a million of them. So we'll have some, we'll just have some little adventures, some stories uh, about the old days and, and bring in some of those characters and, and, uh, you're the ones that are still alive. You know? so, oh, so, yeah. so anyway, so I, I think it's going to be real fun, you know, to, 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 to reminisce and go back to, uh, to all those, those wild days, you know, Friday night at the fights at Cheyenne, uh, there was a bar called uh, uh, the Mayflower there. And every night a, a brawl would break out. There'd be like a hundred guys fighting in there, you know, and the cops would come in, break it up. Nobody go to jail, you know, and then they'd say, Hey oh, guys get along the next night. They'd mill around like a bunch of bulls. Soon as one punch was thrown, I mean, it was all, it was on again. You know? So, you know, there was there was so many stories from those days of of crazy shit that we did, and and uh, you know, and and then a lot of good serious stories too. You know about uh, you know what it took to win, and some of the characters that were around in those days that didn't win. You know, because uh, when I started rodeo, gasoline ranged somewhere between fifteen and and the most you would pay was twenty nine cents a gallon. A Motel 6 cost $6. The expense went down the street with $9. Uh, you could find a, a all-you-could-eat smorgasbord in any town for $0.99, cents, you know. So there was guys that could survive then because they, they paid them $10 to mount out stock. They worked the labor list. You know, they weren't good. You know, they went a little bit here and there, but they weren't your, your top rodeo cowboys. They weren't the, the winners, you know, and they didn't win a whole lot, but they were able to survive because it didn't take much to survive in those days. Those guys ain't around anymore because if you ain't winning, you don't stay out there very long today because it's expensive out there and money don't go very far. Back then it did, you know, good God, they just, they're just with the, with the administrations they have now, just some inflation, the way things going up, it's just money don't go nowhere, but it was sure fun then. You know? I bet. <laughs> I, 
I want to, I got to ask about, uh, about, uh, jackass stuff though, in Knoxville. And like, you guys go back a long time now to the yeah, like, we were, about 20 uh, years. Yeah. I was, you know, when I, when I, I got towards the end of my, my rodeo career, uh, someone asked me, said, what are you going to do now? You know? And I, I, I said, well, you know, I, I'm going to start doing television commercials. They said, you ain't no actor. I said, I wasn't a bull rider. I want to start either. You know, so, you know, but I, <laughs> it, it pays a lot of money. I'll get good at it. You know, I think I did 13 national commercials the first year that I started. And I made about a half a million in residuals. One, one, I did a Bush beer that year, went 350,000 in residuals. I did a right guards first stick commercial that year. It made 50,000, you know, so, uh, I made probably 100, between 150 and 200 commercials, produced a lot of commercials with uh, that had bowls and stuff in them, you know, so uh, made a lot of money, got a retirement from that there, you know, but, uh, you know, it was, you know, when you, you know, I, when I kind of got into positive thinking, I, I, I said, if I, if I'm going to do something, then I'm going to get paid for having fun. If it ain't fun, you know, why do it? You know, why go to work every day at a job that you hate? You know, life's too short for that. You know, life should be an adventure. Every day you should be, can't wait to get out of bed to get out there and do what you do, you know, and if you, and if you, and if you're not, then you better change professions, find out what really blows your dress up, what, what makes you happy. Uh, you know, you make less money and be happy. Money don't bring you happiness. You know, uh, I was in a, if you ever get a chance, there's a deal called the landmark forum and you can do it, uh, uh, on a zoom deal anymore because COVID kind of, when I was there, there was probably 300 people in one room. It was like a microcosm of the world. Uh, one guy stood up and he said, I can honestly say I can buy and sell all three of them. I got enough. I've made enough money and I'm worth enough money. I can buy and sell everybody in here. But I also say I've never spent one happy day in my life. Another girl stood up and she said, I've made millions of dollars as an actress ever since I was a kid. She held up her arms. She had one cut after another where she tried to off herself, you know. So it was really interesting because they were all looking for the secret to happiness, you know. Happiness is worthwhile, you know, what I talk about. Where when you're when you're doing something that you love and you're progressively working towards that 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 ideal uh, of your perfect scenario, then you're the happiest you'll ever be. You know, so a lot of people think it's just uh, money is going to, you know, bring you that happiness. Money, you know, money is just a barter. You know, you're trading it for for what does make you happy, you know, you uh, you know, but, you know, we're, we're goal striving beings. We have to be striving for something or we're not happy. Uh, you see rich kids, you know, get into drugs, they commit suicide. There's just, uh, uh, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, if you take away, I remember we were, we were on a reservation. Oh, geez, we must've been 50, 40, 50 miles from, from William Lakes, British Columbia on, on a res up there having a school and the Indians we're walking around, look like a bunch of zombies, you know? And I asked this Abe Kruger, this friend of mine who's half Indian, half Chinese. And I said, Abe, what's the matter with these Indians? They look like a bunch of zombies. And he stopped for a second and he, and he looked at me. They had free housing. They had free food. They had everything they needed for the sustenance of life. But he, he looked at me and said, they got no dreams. You got no dreams. No matter what they give you, you're not happy. You know, then, then your dreams, became, you know, you're, your, your motivation becomes drugs or whatever, you know, and that's such a false high that, you know, you get caught up in it and it just ruins your life, you know? So you need a dream, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're reaching for a dream and you're progressively working your way there, no matter what it is, if it makes you happy, then you, then you're the wealthiest guy on earth. You know, it ain't about millions of dollars and, you know, 
uh, it's about happiness, you know. And uh, you know, I've I've been one of the lucky ones that I've I've been able to to stay in a direction of doing things that that I love doing, you know. And 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 I've been you know successful at it, you know. So the next chapter, you know, yeah, we're going to write a book. We're gonna we're gonna do some podcasts. We're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna try to motivate people. And we're gonna try to entertain people. And and uh, you know and 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 keep turning out champions like we turn out, you know, because. You know, when, uh, you know, when guys come to me uh, with that dream, they reminded me when I was young and I had that dream, you know, and I, I like helping them. I like them, you know, like seeing them make that progress and get there, you know, and when they get there, I get there. Going, going back to the jackass stuff with that new movie on the go, like you've, you've had those guys up the ranch a number of different times and there's, there's some more bull riding stuff in, in this next, next show as well. I'm, I'm really curious about, about, uh, your experience with, with Knoxville and, and all, all that crew and then being, well, at I, place. Yeah, I, uh, you know, he was a commercial actor like I was, you know, so uh, I run into him on commercial interviews in Hollywood and he told me about his idea for, for Jackass, you know, and I said, well, come up and I, and, and I'll make you a pilot, you know, I'll, you know, we'll do a pilot up there, you know? And he said, uh, 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 so I had this bull called Mr. Mean, he had huge horns, uh, he is, you know, guys that get to the top of the fence, he'd hook, he'd hook his horn around him, jerk him back in the, in the, in the arena and hook the shit up. He was fucking as mean as his name, you know, but I said, you know, when, when we get there, I said, let's, let's meet Mr. Mean, you know, let's just not, most guys you see, they run a bull in, they're climbing down on a bull, but you don't know the history of this bull, you know, when, when Johnny come up, we had Mr. Mean in the back pen, uh, one video, he's fighting another bull. Uh, another one, he's charging, pawing, you know, and you just, you see in his eyes that this, you can see the meanness there. It's like you're looking at the, like in the eyes of the devil, you know, and Johnny's over there. He's looking at him, looking back at us. He said, what do you think my chances are? Slim and none. You know, and just So everybody asked, yeah, yeah, you ain't got a chance to hell right that stuff, bitch, you know. So so the drama was built by the time he got on him, you know, and then, you know, he's in this skateboarding outfit. He rode him about six seconds, you know. He had a lot of balance, you know. Then when he come off, Boy, Mr. Mean turned and, and the bullfighter stepped in just at the right time or, you know, probably should have let him go and let him get smoked. You know, that bull was going to smoke his ass, boy. But and then he just kept coming back. You know, I, you know, uh, there's so many crazy things we've done with him up there, you know, and, and wrecked him out quite a bit. But, you know, the yak was is by one of the most famous, the Toro Totter that was done in my arena. Um, you know, so, so anyway, Knoxville, the last one here we did, we, uh, we turned him, uh, he come off this horn. He looked like a pinwheel spinning like this and he hit the ground and he broke some stuff, knocked him out for quite a while, but he'd been knocked out so many times. He knocks out pretty easy, you know, he's, uh, probably going to have some head problems when he gets older, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's a fun guy, a brave guy. I mean, he'll anything you do, but I've, I've always tried to keep it as safe as I can for bull run, but it's, it's impossible to keep bull run completely safe, you know? So he's had a few, few wrecks, but, uh, uh it sure made some good watching. Well, and then, and you guys have done some stuff with like Rob Deerdeck and them too, I think, but, but the, like the, not the Jackass franchise has been like a pretty incredible hit probably for, as far as what, what you guys have done at the house. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we, we, we did that last one in, in, uh, in LA because you know, COVID they wouldn't let them get out of LA County. So we did it at a friend's mind out there by thousand Oaks and, uh, and, uh, yeah, Rob Deerdeck, we, we took a bull right in the fantasy factory this bull was meaner than in god they dropped that they dropped the life-size uh dummy of, of drama who was who had to get hooked in the ass by him the next day and uh, 
this bull demolished it in seconds, you know, and they had this red straw and they pulled it out. It was, it was falling out of it. You know, it was funnier than hell. That bull was making, uh, making noise like a demon, like, <laughs> it was wild. And drama was so scared when he showed up the next day, you know, I, I said, it looked like you could see he hadn't slept an ounce, you know, and I said, look at old drama, man. And, and, and the bulls that we were putting him on, there was two bulls. He had, he had to, he, if he didn't get the shot on one, he had to, he had to do the other one. One was called murder and the other one was called death. You know, so I oh, said, look at old, old drama, man. He's been, he hadn't slept all night. He's been contemplating murder and death. You know? So <laughs> we were there from, you know, like we started at like eight 30 in the morning and he, he run every time they turned them bulls out. And he finally, you know, just before sundown, I finally had this long talk with him and told him, you know, you know, the universe will take care of you. This is your, this is, you know, what you're born to do. And, you know, just, you got him pumped up and he stood there and the bull hooked him and he, you know, went there and landed on his back, and, you know, finally got the shot, you know, but it was, boy, there's a lot of drama in between, you know, so. Oh, geez. But. Okay. We got, we got to wrap her up pretty, pretty quick here too, but uh, greatest bull riders of all time. You mentioned George Paul at one point, Gary, but you've seen all the guys from Mooney to Sage to, you know, to Donnie Gay, who, 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 in your opinion is the greatest of all time and, and why? Well, you know, it is, I'm still a George Paul fan, you know, because, you know, I think if he was around today, you know, I, he was, he was so, he was such a great athlete. He was such a great bull rider, uh, such, he's such a great athlete. You know, it's a shame that his, his career got cut short, you know, and of course he, you know, he's raised on a million acre ranch in Mexico, you know, so he was, you know, he's dividing his time between that, that ranch and, and, uh, and bull riding. So after he won the world, he kind of took some time off and then he come back and, you know, he was on a roll when he come back he had, uh, and, uh, you know, but the bad thing about George is he, uh, he would, he'd set the, he'd go to sleep, set that thing on autopilot and trust that it was going to be there. And, you know, it ended up getting him killed, you know, but, uh, I think, you know, George would be my number one. Uh, and then it's a toss up, you know, between, you know, tough Hedeman, you know, like when we were doing the, the bull riders only, uh, we kept track of, of everybody's, um, uh, percentage of riding in the second and third round and there were only five guys and everybody that rode bulls was in the bull riders only it's like you know the, and then the pbr you know branched off from there but five guys were above 50 percent tough Hedeman rode over 90 percent of the bulls he got was got on every year so uh tough would be you know one of my you know you know i, I think one of the greatest bull riders that ever lived you know uh donnie gay what you know donnie gay is uh, is one of the winningest bull riders of all time, you know, cause he was so competitive and, you know, he's one of those guys that when the championship was on the line, you know, he might have fallen off here or there, you know, but when that, when it come down to the nut cutting and the championship was on the line, you know, he was one, he was like your clutch guy. He was guy that's going to get the whistle, you know, cause he, he was had such a strong mind, you know, uh, Sage right in there for the, one of the most, uh, you know, mechanically correct bull bull riders of all time uh, and just you know he, you haven't seen how great he is yet he just you know, he's, he's after donnie gay's record and beyond you know so you know and i, and I don't doubt that he'll get it because he's very motivated and, and donnie kind of knows he'll get it too um this jose lemmy is just like holy heaven what an athlete you know he's he's you know he's um He's as good as he's right in there in that top five of the best of all time, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of guys think he's, he's as good as there's, 
there ever was. And, and I'm right on that, in that deal, but you know, his career is still young yet. He's won a couple championships, but you know, he's, you know, God, he's, he's amazing. You know, he was, he had a weakness going away from his hand. He, he fixed it. He's got better going that way. Um, you know, so no telling where he's going to go. Um, and, uh, and Troy Dunn, you know, he, can't you can't you talk about great bull riders out talk about the great Troy Dunn you know I, he was just like well, whoop the mag he was the bull riders bull rider you know just uh, the uh, mid rank bulls look easy you know so those would be my top guys yeah okay uh, Wacy you let's wrap her up here uh, yeah Pardon? so well I, I got one more a couple more questions for you wrap up here Gary uh, earlier on you mentioned working with Luke Perry and on eight seconds and that kind of stuff and how he you basically had to train him without putting him on a bull. But not long after everything wrapped up filming, he did come to one of your the BRO the, the, events and got well. On the last day, the last day of the movie, you know, after you know he, uh, you know, I trained him. You know, I sent him to the equitation center to get jumping horse lessons. You know, to learn how to ride a horse. He didn't know how to ride a horse. So first he had equitation lessons, and then he took jumping horse lessons. He bought two horses. He brought them down to uh, San Antonio. We did horse drills every day, and I'm big on horse drills. You know, we I have a a German war or a, a Dutch warm blood that was pretty bronchy when we got him, you know, but he's a, he's a sweetheart now, but I put my students on him and, and uh, practice the jumping technique uh, and, and, uh, you know, make them do it with no hands and just, you know, you know, there, there's not a better cross training in the world than, than riding jumping horses, you know, um, you know, so he did the jumping horse drills. We did the drills every day. And then, you know, I had him watch 20 minutes of Lane's greatest rides every day. And then everything he did, I said, pretend you're Lane Frost when you're doing it. Cause get in the spirit of lane, you know, the last thing I told him when he got on his first bull and I mean, they didn't put him on no easy bull. This bull kicked over his head and turned back right in the gate. And I mean, it was a buck and some buck, probably an 85 point ride at least. Um, and the last thing I told him is your lane frost, you know, your lane frost. And he nodded his, he slid up and lane would always go, okay, man. Okay, man. Okay, man. He just keeps saying that over and over till the gate opened. He did that. The gate opened that bull kicked over his head, turned back. He rode him about six seconds, spurred him the last two rounds, stepped off perfectly on his feet, did that little hand deal like he does. It blowed everybody away. People Magazine was there. There's me and him and, uh, and the assistant director, picture of us there, me congratulating him. You know, so it was, it was just really showed that, you know, the, the power of visualization, of, of role modeling. And, 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 and that my drills work, you know, that, you know, so if, if, if I could, if I, if I can train a guy to, to write and make a rank bull ride without ever putting him on a bull, then what I'm teaching damn sure works. And I think it's, it's amazing, you know, results of my students since then is, as, as showed that, you know, uh, they can cuss me all they want, but I keep getting <laughs> results. You know? So just keep cussing me because I know I'm winning. Well, that's, that's definitely something that Ted and I can attest to being around you and being yeah. at, going to your schools and stuff. And even just the, the life takeaways that we've had, there's the one, the one that sticks with me too, that you, that you always would mention is the prior and proper pre preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> and I, that's, that's it, what that's, man, I, I love that what. one, that one, that one, I, I use it all the time. Yeah. And like, and like, and like my son, when he asked Adriano, he said, do you do drills? And he said in front of a mirror for hours, for hours, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, you just don't, you don't do a drill one time, two times, you know, you got to be passionate about it. You got to do it over and over and over. You got to eat, live and breathe it. So when you get on that bull, you know, if you're having to think about the bull ride the day you're getting on, then you ain't done your homework. Everything should be in place by the time you get that rodeo. The only thing that you want to think about when you get that rodeo is clear your head and don't think, you know, get off the thinking process. Because if you're th thinking about, 
the, the, the ride that day or what this, but they're coming up saying this bull's going to come hard to the left. He's going to come hard to the right. You know, I said, I don't give a shit where he goes. You know, I'm not going to buy into where he's going to go left. He's going to go to the right. I don't care where he goes. I'll be ready. I'm going to be in the moment. When you're in the moment, as Zen masters say, you know, everything happens for you, you know, but if you're thinking, you get on that thinking side of the mind, you start anticipating what they're going to do. You're going to, you're going to get caught in your own trap. You know, you, 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 by the time you think about that move, you're late. So do your homework, the day of competition, clear your head. Don't think. Well, Gary, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's been fun to catch up and then hear some stories again. And one more question for you before we wrap up one, we ask every single guest on the show here, what is your definition or what is the meaning of the phrase cowboy shit to you? Cowboy shit. You know, I think cowboy shit is just, you know, um, you know, cowboy is, is an adventuresome life. You know, it's like, you know, I think we grew up on John Wayne movies, you know, and, you know, I think that's why there was so many bar fights in the old days, you know, because they're one of the more Western <laughs> movies. There was, a, there was always a big bar fight, you know, and, you know, and I love, I, I loved uh, Lonesome Dove, you know, when, uh, you know, when he grabbed that bartender and slammed his face oh, yeah. in, 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 the, in the bar, you know, he's, I hate poultry service, you know, just, you know, <laughs> those guys were cowboys, you know, gotta, when, when, when Lonesome Dove was on, I didn't answer my phone, I locked my door, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to be disturbed, man, that was probably the greatest Western I ever seen, you know, and, because, uh, uh, you know, but that's, that's what we strive to be, you know, we grew up, you know, idolizing cowboys and, and you become what you think about, you know, and, and we had, we grew up on the, the, you know, the Wild West, you know, movies and, you know, just and, and, and you know, my dad was a cowboy all his life, you know, and it just that that whole cowboy mentality, you know, but cowboy, like, you know, cowboys are gentlemen, you know, they they treat ladies with respect, uh, you know, they don't cuss in front of them, they don't, you know, um, and, and they're gentlemen, you know. But uh, they're also they they stand up for what they believe in, you know. They they'll fight for what they believe in, you know. And if you know someone crosses them, you know, or, or gets disrespectful, you know, you're gonna stand up. And you're gonna fight, you know. And it's a tough it's tough anymore because it used to be they used to fight with your fists, you know, more they pull guns or not, <laughs> you know. So there's one place, one place in those days that you didn't fight was was Southern Oklahoma, you know, because. Uh, there was one f- friend of mine I knew that rodeo and he killed two guys with a knife in a bar down there. And he said, there were 40 guys killed in that bar that year. Um, and, and the only three of them went to trial. Cause I, it was, it was like the real wild west. The wild west there. Yeah. And yet yeah. that bar was the second most dangerous bar in the United States. The most dangerous bar, according to how many people were killed in it was lame deer, Montana at the gym town bar. You know, I don't know where you've been to Lame Deer, Montana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bar right off the res. Yeah, yeah. Know, hey, bigger, no bigger than this room I'm in. There was more than 40 killings that year in Damn. that bar, you know. So so I never, you know, when I went to Southern Oklahoma, I didn't, you know, there wasn't and there was no intention of fighting no matter what they said, because they pull a knife, cut your guts out fast, and you could get a gun, you know. But that's the way they live down there. It's old bootleggers, you know, now a lot of drug, drug traffic traffic down there, you know. So that's always been a wild place. Wow. Wow. Is it called the Jimtown Bar and Casino? Is that what it well, was? Remember the one Canadian that uh, one guy's telling about the kill two guys. He come up there in Canada, car- carved a guy up in Canada one year up there. <laughs> <And> they <laughs> kicked, him in, kicked him and the other the, the other guys with him out of Canada and never let him come back. Damn. Holy shit. I won't mention any names, but they were pretty wild. He's a world Holy champion shit. anyway. So both Holy of them were. So. That is wild. Wild West, Southern Oklahoma. We, Stay away we'll from be, that place. Uh, we'll be tuning in for, for the stories, Gary. And I, I hope that the. I can't uh, wait for a book. Yeah, I'm excited about the book and and a lot of the other stories. I appreciate your time today for doing this too, though. Thanks. Uh, thanks uh, for you guys get man. to Texas, come see me, man. 
Yeah. You know, well, I, I, last time I come to Canada, they re, they wouldn't let me across. They had like 35 kids waiting over there. They turned me around, and sent me back to Denver. I had to had to stay there a couple of days because I had to pay my own way back. You know, it was like it's horrible when you can't get across the border. You know. Yeah. That's brutal. I, I was pissed. But I put a couple of pictures of of Adolf Hitler and some other, you know, one of our <laughs> henchmen in during the Nazi. I said, here, these guys stopped me at the border. would let me cross. I was mad. I was pissed, you know? So Jeez. I ain't been back to Canada since, you know? So, but, uh, so I just tell if you want, if you want to see the guru, come down to come down and see me down here. I loved it up there, you know, but they just, it's tough to get across that border. They, they, you know, unless it's really tough to get a permit, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just, uh, I quit coming. So sorry about that. I loved it up there when I did come. You still wearing the hat from Vern? It looks like though too. Uh, this one here is actually uh, this American hat right here. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, the one, uh, the one I got from Vern is 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 a little more wore out than this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was I was wondering, but he, it he looked makes like a it. good hat, boy. That good one, you know. Heck this yeah. one here, I just had to get a new one because I'd wore that one so many years. It got pretty wore out. Oh, fair enough. Oh, we we'll see. We'll be. Well, we'll. Oh, this one to like. Yeah, we'll be back in Texas lots this 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 upcoming year. So we'll be definitely come by and say hi and where can where can people find your the school information or if they want to come see you where's the best place to reach you just uh, just go on just go gary lefew bull ride gary lefew's bull riding world you know with an s gary lefew's bull riding world.com and uh, all my schedules on there and they i got my phone number on there just get a hold of me and come see me and uh, and uh, like i say we'll try to make a champion out of everybody we work with you know so awesome Good visit with you guys. And, yeah, you too, uh, Can't wait to see you guys. Come to Texas. We'll go to stockyards and get drunk and have fun. Hell yeah. Can't <laughs> wait. I've lived my life on the bad side of the moon To stir your drags and sickness still Without a rustic spoon Now come on, people, live with me Where the light has never shown And the hornets flock like hummingbirds Speaking in a foreign tongue. It's my life, it's my life, it's my life, my life. It's my life, it's my life, it's my life. Welcome back. This is episode 109 of Cowboy Shit. I'm Ted. He's Wacy. Thanks to our editor, Sean Morton, for staying with us. Our longest tenured podcast editor of all time. Of all time. Yeah. He still likes us. Yeah. I think at this point, Sean just doesn't have a choice. He can't leave. You're here forever, uh, dude. No, I think That's he has a choice. Right. There's definitely no. a choice. No. Definitely. Not allowed. Um, He's here forever. I have anyways. a question for you. Excuse me. Question, quick one. I don't know if this is something we've ever talked about. Um, what is your greatest fear? Ooh, greatest and fear? part two, and part two to the question, what's a fear that you want to face in the next year? Or two, an extra couple. Of, like, what's the fear you want to face? Not, I shouldn't put a time on it. Huh. Uh, ooh, I'm not sure what the what that would be right now. I could get really dark. I don't want to go too dark though. To get might get weird. Um, our show we do whatever we want. Yeah, I don't know if I want to go down that road though, because it's yeah. like I guess the other thing is like going back to what Gary said the negative things we think of is what we manifest. Right. So I don't even want to have that negative shit in my mind. My greatest fear is snakes. Snakes. They fucking okay. scare me. And a fear that I want to face is my fear of heights. I want to go skydiving. Well, so speaking of that, Sean used to do that kind of thing. Remember I know. Yeah. We've talked about it before. I think, I think it'd be, yeah. I, have you been, have you been skydiving? No, I haven't. I don't know if it's really I cool. really want to do though. 
I think I think parts of it would be fun, but I don't know. Would you rather really skydive or bungee jump? Skydive, I think. Yeah, yeah me I too. Would I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to bungee jump. That's no. Shit. I don't think yeah. it would be much fun. No, I would. I would skydive. I, I would do that. It'd be I think cool it'd be fun to do it with like a bunch of us. It'd be neat because yeah. because like you're obviously tied to a professional. So if I try just like I'd be like, dude, like just throw me out of the plane. Like I, if I try to stop you, like just go. Like I'll be That's fine. That's true, eh? That's yeah. true. Yeah, it's one of those things yeah. where I think you just gotta like send it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think we need to do. I'd I'd love mm. to go with like Sean and you know a few of us go and do it kind of thing. It'd be fun mm-hmm. to go with somebody like Sean being an ex- expert because he could probably fuck with us and like really mess around. But you know what? That it's crazy would be... to think Sean's like an engineer and does a lot of like really cool shit. Sean that is way. a very smart guy. Yeah, and then used to skydive. That's fucking. Nice. I used to fight bulls. Yeah, I was a bullfighter too. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like. How he's like a domesticated family man now. We need to we need to do one of these like <laughs> top and bottom right? segments with Sean. Uh, get him on here so people can know him. Well, we've done a little bit with him, but but like we gotta like give him, get him give him some more air. Drill down a little bit. Talk Sean, a bit more about the skydiving, bull riding, bullfighting side of things. Sean, if you're hearing this, um, let us know when you want to do that. We'll line it up. This is another thing you don't have a choice in. <laughs> you have to stay with us forever, and you have to come do a segment with us. Oh wait, so you know what the next show is too after this one. Is the next one or the one after? It's almost time for another edition of. Oh man! No, we're not. You're not. You're not the. You're not the subject this time. The um, Bachelor. Are we do? Are we doing something? Are we doing it? I just forgot about it, but we got to get after this. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, what, the Bachelorette. So I'm, I want to go Bachelorette episode one ten February 9th. Damn. That's, or we could do it. Well, I think it's gonna be before Valentine's Day. It can't be after. So we're gonna have to like record this in the next. Next week. Yeah, <laughs> before we go to Kimberly, which is fine. That's work to be yeah. done. But but hey, you know what? There's no, there, we can't really do it on the weekend. So we're doing the Bachelorette. So we're gonna have to put up a an application form here like tomorrow. Anyway, we're, we're gonna do the Bachelorette. We would like to. We might not get to it. This might just be a pipe dream. But at some point we want to do that. So for those wondering, the reason why I don't want to do it again for the third time is for that very reason. It'd be the third time of me doing it. And I still haven't found love yet. So I think that's a major red flag on my end of things. If I were to have the third bachelor, I think people would be like, this guy's a you don't scumbag. Wanna, you don't want to advertise. No. That. I, and you know what? It's one of those things where we had my, our love, my love life and my love struggles are very well known to most people who listen to the show regularly. And um, I think I'm just at a point where I'm going to spare the people. My, you know, my troubles, my sorrows. Speaking of love, looking for love in all the wrong places, we actually had, we actually oh lost Wacy in Dallas for a while. I was lost, lost for a few him. hours. So we were in Dallas. We were just in the US the other day for, for, uh, we went to the, the Western English Sales Association. We had a big, uh, uh, trade show and took cowboy shit into the US market. We added like 25, 26. I had another one called me today, actually, in order of Wacy too. So I got, we're at 26 stores now in the US. Hell yeah. I think I, I've got to go back and look, maybe, but. I think like 26 locations and maybe, maybe we went from zero to probably 26 locations. Yeah. About that. Maybe 30, but, uh, good trip. Had a lot of great time. A lot of great people, Montana silversmiths, uh, Guinness world record, the largest belt buckle. That was a pretty cool presentation. Hell yeah. Um, we met a bunch of great folks, met some folks from the PRCA from the PBR as well. Uh, what else? A lot of our friends at Kimes, our Kimes friends. Yeah, we met that crew, hung out with our friends with Wrangler as well. Saw our buddy Clay. We hadn't seen him in a long time. What a um, guy. I like Clay. Yeah. Shout yeah, out to so Clay, we had a dude. had a good uh 
had a good trip down there. A lot of fun. Wasey's first time at the big market. Uh, but yeah, we had a, had a good trip. Got some custom cowboy shit boots on the way. Yeah, that'll be fun. But but Wasey got lost. So we, we so there was one night. What were we doing? We were like, what was the Wrangler party? Was it night? Friday? Oh, the Wrangler yeah. party night. Okay, so it's Friday, and then we get back to the room like pretty late. It was probably like what eleven thirty midnight, and Storm and I go to bed like we're done, tired out. It's a long week already, and. Wasey's in the room for a while and then he just like he leaves he leaves for a while and leaves the door open like like it was a short enough trip from the room that he left the like door latched so <laughs> I'm like well he's gonna be gotta be coming back pretty soon that was the intention I was gonna come back yeah he's gonna come back so he leaves like leaves his fucking boots his phone his uh my watch his watch his wallet like everything even his phone like you don't usually don't leave for like you're not going very far if you're leaving your phone so he yeah. he leaves and then after a while it's like it's probably like 10 15 minutes maybe 20 minutes and the door is still op- open with the and like I'm trying to go to sleep go back to sleep he already woke me up when he got back cuz we went to bed earlier so anyways I go and like close the door and I'm like well, fuck if he's not coming back I'm just going to close this thing so so close it up and then go to sleep and don't think too much of it then wake up in the morning he's still not home and I'm like what the hell and then we get a little worried because I'm like, geez, he never came home. And it was quite a while later, right? Like we're talking, <laughs> yeah. we're talking like it's like 8 a.m. And the sh- where the show starts at 830 and he's not back yet. And I'm like, I don't want to be alarmed. I'm not going to call his family yet. I'm not going to like alert the authorities. But like shit could have went wrong. Man, if you would have called my mom. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I didn't want to. So, oh I didn't want to. No. I didn't want to like freak out. Right. Because I'm like, he's yeah. probably OK. But like. Then I got thinking, shit, we're in America. We're in a foreign country. It's COVID we're a big times. City. We're in a big city downtown. He could have got mugged. He might have got run over. He might have got a Dewey. He might have tried to drive. You he start got spiraling arrested. at this point. Like, this yeah, I'm just like, I'm thinking like worst case Ontario. And I'm thinking this could be bad. This could be real bad. But so I record a video and I'm like, wait, he's gone. We lost him. Dallas happened now. <laughs> and I just recorded and I'm like, Storm, um, let's just sit on this for a while not panic we're not gonna you know don't panic and we'll see how this ends up so we go uh um get to the show and then we like i message him i message like people that i knew that he was kind of with and i'm like hey like is he okay do you have him because like because you didn't have your phone so we couldn't even get a hold Nothing. of him i know I, was but I, I, I just like left a, a text on your phone I was like hey just give us a shout let us know you're alive when you get this because <laughs> we left to go to the show like we had to go open the show and yeah, he wasn't even yes. around yeah you guys went to work He's a little bit of an unreliable worker that morning, just to not. I put him. I put. Like, hey, I put in my opening shifts. I did put my in part. a couple opening shifts. Yeah, I did half the time. Yeah, you were Everybody there. Everybody else little, did half. We, we, there we, we hey, we had a good plan for the worth of the oh, work yeah, structure. It worked. It, it worked. worked out well. But but he's gone and he's just totally MIA. And I'm like, yeah. so I was like, hey, we're not gonna panic. Not put this video out until we know he's okay. And then once I got a text that he was okay, and I was like, yeah, okay, put it out. And then we uh, we. Uh, he came back. When did you get there? Like noon, one o'clock? Like it was mm, like 11, 11 30. Yeah. So we found him. He got back. Luckily, he, he didn't die, but it was. I'm sorry yeah. for worrying you, friend. Oh, it's fine. It was, it was mostly <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was, was a little, little bit. Little Dallas was, adventure. Yeah. I was a well, little the, bit. But like you said, though, like alarm, I left the latch really. open of the door, like with full intentions of coming back. Yeah. And then I just. Yeah. You I just, just never did. Never did. <laughs> never did so, till the morning. Till the but, morning, uh, things was lost for all. Then we found him. But anyways, just the way she goes. 
that's uh, probably enough for the show. We'll see you all again here. Sometime Don't forget soon. to get your tickets for Saturday night. Yeah, Saskatchewan come, rough, rush. come check it show. out. Check out our socials. Uh, find yourself some tickets. Come and see us. Uh, Wacy is signing uh, autographs in permanent marker. So Hell uh, yeah. one of those, he'll be signing some autographs. Titties. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, didn't, we didn't get any of those signed in uh, Regina. So. I still have a run. I still, yeah, I'm still looking for some to sign because I failed my task for a channel. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll wrap it up there. We'll see you all down the road. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.